Oddities, Late Night Movies with Rob and Zach. This is a podcast about cinematic oddities, where we discuss any media that is too bizarre, abnormal, or off-kilter for contemporary audiences. Occasionally, these projects gel. Most times, they crash hard into the realm of obscurity. Join us as we delve into the cult classic swamp. I'm Zach. And I've just been thinking... Why do we just assume that all of this infrastructure and entertainment and open information that is beaming all over the place, all the time, into every single home on the planet, is exactly what we are told it is? Maybe there are people out there who are more important than us, more powerful and wealthier than us, that are communicating and seeing things in the world that are meant only for them and not for us. I think it's fucking ridiculous to assume that media has only one purpose, right? And I won't be happy until all the dogs are dead. (laughs) welcome to another episode of cinemodities it is a a grand occurrence not only in the fact that we are starting a new series but also for the fact that for the first time in a long time i think maybe about a year we have three hosts on this podcast and of course he was pulling our leg once again the person did the intro is not zach it is Justin, the king of why is there no counter magic, Justin himself. <laughs> Justin, thank you for being here once again. Happy to be here. And we also had someone who I I guess wants to be the next Douglas Fairbanks and kill all the dogs. His name is Ben. That's that's me, Rob. I am the dog killer and you should beware. <laughs> beware the dog killer. Oh yes. So before we get into this series, before we get into this absolutely fucking amazing film as far as Rob is concerned. We have to talk about the usual thing. Well, once again, for the third week in a row, Zach is not here because Zach has been hard at work in the restaurant. And this is no surprise. I think uh, the last few weeks have set up that it's been really busy time in the restaurant. And thankfully this week, Zach is not trying to prevent anything or do damage control, but he's actually off doing some research and development. So I don't know if you guys, Justin and Ben, if you remember, but back in the early 2000s, there was that, that, uh, that brand of, of ice cream and popsicle sticks, literally called popsicles. And it was yellow boxes, and they had like the firecracker and the, and the sprinklers and, the, and the, the twisted push-up pops and stuff like that. Um, we don't have the consumer-grade versions of those in our restaurant. We have popsicles that are covered in like coated candy. That when customers eat them, it transmorphs their body into a solid material covered in sprinkles. And we thought this was a good idea back from a few months ago because we said, oh, we get customers to eat these popsicles. They turn into more of the popsicles, and then we just use them to create more popsicles. It's self-sustaining. <laughs> it turns out that people who eat these don't turn into ice cream covered with candy. They turn into this weird kind of, like, lump of flesh covered in candy, and we can't resell that. So we don't have an answer yet. That's why Zach isn't here. He's trying to work out, well, what the hell do we do with uniformly solid flesh material people covered in candy? It's it's a good question. (laughs) Rob, you don't have to lie to us. We know that Zach got addicted to heroin. (laughs) He's he's out somewhere in the restaurant and just, you know, uh, chasing the dragon. <laughs> Zach, when Zach comes back, it's going to be very interesting to get his, his account on what's been going on in the restaurant. And, you know, to be honest, Zach is a very straight-edge person. 
or was until we started working on this restaurant. This might have driven him over the edge. (laughs) (laughs) So, without any further ado, we introduced it a little bit last week when Ben was here. What series are we starting with this month of June and the five Mondays? It's a very great five Monday month. So we get five episodes in this series, and it is none other than what Rob has chosen and called the Chewed Up and Spit Out series. Well, what does this mean? Who's getting chewed up? Who's getting spit out? And I think the best way to say it is that all five of these movies will be dealing with, to some extent, the idea of the plight of women in the showbiz industry and exactly how they get chewed up and spit out, used, abused, for better or for worse, many different times, many different ways. And the question is, well, why are we doing this? Well, because who's better to talk about this than a bunch of men, right? (laughs) No, in in all seriousness, we are actually doing this because uh, there's a lot of movies that that we, and when I say we, I mean Rob, find incredibly interesting and we really enjoy that fall into this common theme. And so this is just another case of cinemodities playing loose by their rules and figuring out, well, hey, there's some movies we want to talk about. How do we unify them? How do we group them together? And this one just happens to be about women in the industry. And because Rob knows he got to pick this one from the heart, five movies he really, really enjoys, we're going to have a, a slightly varied cast of guests for this month. Some that have experience with these films, some that really don't know anything about them, and that's where we fall in today. I want either of you to correct me if I'm wrong. Both of you have never seen this film prior to this recording and the research for this recording. Is that correct? I still haven't seen it. (laughs) Ben watched the intro with Beware the Dog Killer, and he was like, I got it. He's like, it's a Spider-Man movie, right? (laughs) Yeah, I've never seen this one before. So I I think it becomes a question of, well, has anybody seen this movie before? The answer, <laughs> the answer is, thankfully, yes, because this movie has a very interesting history. And before we get into it, uh, I'm usually very, very uh, restrictive with saying the title because whenever anybody clicks on this episode, whether it be in Spotify or Podbean or iTunes or anything like that, they see what the movie we're discussing is. But this is none other than Under the Silver Lake. So we gotta, we gotta get some context in here. And since I'm the only one who has any experience with it, this is gonna be pretty quick. I don't really remember how this movie even came onto my radar. I, I think that it's a combination of I don't watch Red Letter Media, which is a, a very popular YouTube film criticism channel. I don't watch them. I used to watch them. I've, I've really had issues with them in the near future or near past. Um, but I think I always keep track of what they review because when they don't do things that are popular or famous, I kind of take attention to them. And I think they might have done this, but I also think I was interested in this movie because I was just around the time this came out last year in April, I was learning for the first time and watching some videos about why Andrew Garfield was kicked out from the amazing Spider-Man. So I'm I'm sure we all know that we had the amazing Spider-Man and the amazing Spider-Man two. Jamie Foxx gets angry at Spider-Man. That's the subtitle for that movie. Um, And then there was never a trilogy, even though they wanted to make a third one. I don't know if you guys know this, but on the press tour for the second amazing Spider-Man, Andrew Garfield literally just talked shit on the movie. 
like he, he unabashedly basically complained about Sony, about the director, about the writers, about the crew. And they were like, this constitutes a breach of contract. You're fired. We're not doing any more Spider-Man movies with you. And, of course, Andrew Garfield went on to do things like Silence, uh, Hacksaw Ridge, which I know got some attention because it was directed by Mel Gibson, and it's very anti-World War II. I still haven't seen that. But I think when I was learning about that, I was like, well, what what the hell is Andrew Garfield doing now? Because the only things I've seen him in other than Spider-Man and this— He's uh, Eduardo from The Social Network. He's Mark Zuckerberg's friend, uh, which, is, which is a pretty good movie. I, I really liked The Social Network when I saw it back in the day. Yeah, that one was good. So I, I somehow this movie came into my radar. Um, I didn't really know much about it, and I was just like, threw it on my list. Eventually I got to it, and as I watched it, I was immediately hooked by the first few moments we get some great score. We get some great music transitioning into orchestral music. And then a squirrel falls to its death. And I'm like, I'm on board. Whatever the hell else is going to happen with this movie, they've hooked me. I'm intrigued now. But I do have to say that this movie did have a troubled history. It actually premiered in May 2018 at, at Cannes, the film festival. It was actually up for the Palme d'Or, which is like the, the best picture of the film festival. It did not win a Japanese movie called Shoplifters 1, which I've never seen. Um, it got a theatrical release in France on August 8th of 2018. It got its nice, next theatrical nice. release in Belgium on Ben Affleck's birthday. That's a very important date on Cinemodities. Ben Affleck's birthday, August 15th. That's the date that will live in infamy. Uh, that's when it was released in Belgium, theatrically. And it did not get a theatrical release in the U.S. until April 19th, 2019, a little less than a year later. And this is because it received such mixed reviews at the film festival at Cannes and in its theatrical releases that the distributor, A24, a really popular distributor these days of a lot of these weird, noir, black-and-white kind of you know surrealist all these different types of movies, they were putting pressure on the director, David Robert Mitchell, to recut it. They wanted a re-edited version of this movie. And David Mitchell said, go fuck yourselves. This is the movie. I don't care what anybody thinks. This is my vision, which I got mad props for, for a director. And so A24 didn't really know what to do with it. It was supposed to come out in August of 2018, got pushed back to December of 2018, and then got pushed back to April 19th, 2019, when it got its theatrical release, only to be released on Amazon on Video On Demand three days later. <laughs> Damn. This is a movie that nobody knew what to do with. And I'm sure this will come to light if you've never seen this movie and you're just listening to our discussion about it. When we get to our top line items of what we thought about it, I think it will become very clear that, yes... No one in the world knows what to do with this movie. <laughs> so even though it had a very short theatrical run in the U.S., I do want to mention um, that it did make about $2 million at the box office. That's nothing. That's nothing. 3% of this came from the United States. So a little less than $60,000 came oh, from the United States. <laughs> so, um, but that is not to say 
that this movie has gone unknown. I know last week when Ben and I discussed I Heart Huckabees, we had to approach it as a plot breakdown because no one has ever seen that movie. It completely fell off the face of the earth. This movie did not. This movie, I think, is something I want to discuss when we get into the meat of it, became an almost instant cult classic. It intrigued enough people to generate interest to this day from a lot of interesting and intelligent people. But before we get on to this movie, I have to ask you guys, because I did not know this when I first saw it, David Robert Mitchell, the writer and the director of this movie, he got to make this after his enormous critical and commercial success titled It Follows. Have either of you ever seen the horror movie It Follows? No, is it good? Um, the premise of the movie is uh, that a, a girl goes out on a date with a guy. Like, uh, they know each other a little bit. They go on a date. They have sex. After they have sex, the guy ties her up and explains to her, listen, I had to have sex with you because there's this thing that follows you. And it follows you like it slow walks towards you until it kills you. But the only way to get it to stop following you is to have sex with somebody else, and then it will follow that person. Was she into this at first until she she realized he was serious? Yes. She was into the okay. sex. She's not That's into the, only... the, the following thing. I watched this movie. Oh, I think this that was movie... a missed opportunity. She should have been like, that sounds awesome. Let's go again. And he's like, no, I'm not kidding. This movie Anyway, that's is... how I would have did this scene. This movie, like I said, it was a huge hit. Like People regarded it as like one of the greatest – I think it was 2015 was when it came out. There were so many critics and fans that were like, this is the greatest American horror movie of like the last 30 years. And I watched it because Zach was interested in it. He, he uh, just sent a copy to me, and we were thinking about doing it for Monstober, which is our Halloween series every October. And I watched it. And I was like, this movie is offensive and dumb. And I hated it. <laughs> of I course really, you did. I hated this movie. I thought it's an interesting premise, and they just made it the stupidest thing possible. <clears throat> like, it is surface level. There's, there's very little density to it. I thought it was garbage. I would be very interested to see what you guys think if you ever watch it. But I vetoed it from Cinemodities, which is why we've never talked about it on this podcast Damn. before. But I have that gone on record. Distinct. The movie is dumb. But this is also a common theme because I love a lot of movies by certain directors and they also have movies that I absolutely hate. David Robert Mitchell, he did It Follows, terrible movie. And then this, which I love, Denis Villeneuve, Enemy with Jake Gyllenhaal is a fantastic movie. Arrival with Amy Adams about the aliens, some of the stupidest shit I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> but that's beside the point. I had to talk a little bit about the director. We'll now get into my context, which I think is all, all done. When I watched this movie the first time, I was hooked. I love this movie. I love everything about it. I think since I saw it late summer last year, 2019, you know, we're looking at maybe nine months since then. I think I've seen this movie easily ten times. I fucking love Under the Silver Lake. And so before we get into all these specific details... Because, oh boy, do I got questions for you guys about this movie. <laughs> Top line items. You two seeing it for the first time. What did you think? And I want to start with Ben. Because Ben is coming hot off the philosophical masterpiece of I Heart Huckabees. This is a very different movie. But also very, I think, cryptographic and code-breaking, which Ben is interested in. But what are your thoughts? Uh, Alright, so in the, in the first, in like the very opening scene... 
uh, it shows Beware the Dog Killer on this window, and this girl's trying to wash it off. And uh, like you said, there's some, there's some good music. Um, and I was immediately just like, I am not only on board for this, but I need to know, are there other movies like this mm. that I can watch? Because uh, there was just something about the way, like, it felt like it was going to be an enjoyable experience from the beginning. Nice. Um, the the thing with the squirrel was a little off-putting, because, like, it's poorly animated, and it, like, looks at him as it's dying. So, like, that was a little <laughs> bit strange. Yes. So I was like, ah, maybe. But then from, from that point forward, I, I thought, like, you know, it was a good movie. It was intriguing from the beginning. I... As far as, like, you know, if I had to give it a plot synopsis, it would be, like, kind of loser guy meets neighbor, wants to <laughs> bang her, she disappears, he spends the rest of his time trying to find her instead of trying to not get evicted. Uh, <laughs> yes, yes, that's a, so, a major plot point the movie seems to forget about for a while. <laughs> so, I mean, it's great. Uh, the ending, I was a little disappointed by. I kind of wanted something, I don't know, more. But overall, I think it was a great experience. I did watch it twice nice. in the past day because I was like, I, I watched it once during work and like once after work. It's so dense, right? Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, it, there was a lot to try to. And like, I definitely found more things the second time I watched it. I was like, oh, shit, like that's a nice little uh, a nice little touch. Um I don't know if we're at the point that I that I should mention uh, one of my favorite parts of the movie. So I, I think we'll get there to specific scenes. Okay, Bef- right. Before so, I throw it over to Justin with his thoughts, I did want to ask Ben because Ben and I, as we, as we discussed before on this podcast, uh, Ben has seen eight David Lynch films <laughs> I, I as Rob dragged him to the art house uh, Athena Cinema. This this is a movie. I've seen a lot of – as Ben and Justin know, I love David Lynch, as this podcast knows. I've seen a lot of movies that claim to be Lynchian, and I've always kind of been like, yeah, you know, they got some aspects of him. This was one of the first movies I've seen where I'm like, this feels like a David Lynch movie. There's, there's a lot of this movie that actually made me think of David Lynch, specifically Blue Velvet, where Kyle MacLachlan finds an ear, and for no reason other than he's curious, he's like – who does this ear belong to? And that's the point of that movie. Him just diving into this this underground, underbelly world, trying to figure out who this dismembered ear belongs to. And that's this movie as well. Like, he, this girl disappears, and so he's like, I just gotta figure out what happened. And he gets torn and dives into this other world he never knew about. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, as far as, like, do I think it's Lynchian? I, I have blocked out most of my experience <laughs> with David Lynch, so it's, so it's hard for me to say whether I think it's Lynchian uh, from what I do remember. Yeah, sure. I mean, there's, there's some like non sequitur shit. There's some stuff that like at first glance doesn't really make any sense. That that's definitely how I felt most of the time when I was watching those David Lynch movies. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what the fuck's going on? Yeah. Th- um, this is, this is Lynchian. I would say in the, in the aspect of his later works, because of course the first one we watched Ben was his first movie. I'm sorry, not his first movie, his first critically acclaimed movie, the elephant man. And I remember right. we came out of that where that's the most kind of tractable David Lynch movie that we saw. The straight mm-hmm. story is is a lot more emotional. But we finished The Elephant Man in, th- in the theater, and we both looked at each other and we were like, wow, that was depressing. And there's nothing weird about that movie other than that it's a deformed man. 
It's just sure. depressing that he gets treated the way he does. This is right. more like the later Lynch stuff where it's like you never really know what's going on. And as soon as you think you know what's going on, the movie immediately pulls the rug out from under you. Yes, um, I, I definitely have to agree with that. I, I I was definitely trying to figure it out. I was like trying to like, what the fuck is this pirate about? You know, trying <laughs> trying to figure. What the fuck was that pirate about? Though? <laughs> well, I think we'll get there. But, oh, yes. but the, uh, I, I was definitely you know, um, yeah, it had a Lynch vibe for sure. Nice. Uh, and I will say though, I think it's maybe more watchable than mm. a lot of the Lynch movies that I that I remember. That's fair. Um, it's, it's, it's not as surreal. There is a grounding in this movie. Yes. Yeah. That's a good way to put Even it. Even though we do get some weird dreamlike sequences and stuff like that, you know. But and, and a lady in a white bathing suit barking like a dog. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> oh yes. That was so. That was one of the other things I want to do in my introduction. Without the since I did the long great line of Andrew Garfield in the bathtub, one of my other thoughts was to go and. I also wanted to do, and the first thing I ever masturbated to was probably a rerun of Charles in Charge. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. So Ben, I, I'm I figured Ben, you'd have some affinity for this. Um, we've seen some weird movies before, but now I want to throw it over to Justin. What were your thoughts on Under the Silver Lake? Boy, there there's a lot to unpack with this one. Oh, yeah. You're you're not kidding when you say it's dense and. And, and people don't even know what to do with it because I didn't know what to do with it. This movie just had me in such a weird place where I'm like, is this a mystery? What time period does it take place from the first scene? I'm like, what what year are we in? Sure. But but then it's also like Andrew Garfield's acting is is the craziest mix of just ridiculous. Like the way he runs is absolutely ridiculous. Yet at the same time, I'm like, there's a mystery here and I need to solve it. And then this dude's out here laying maps over Zelda, you know, <laughs> friggin' whatever that magazine. magazine. Yeah, yeah, Nintendo Power. And I was just like, this is it. This is just it. There's so many things in this movie where I'm like, I don't know how the hell we got here or who thought to take it in this direction, but it's so good. Oh, yeah. It's a it's a like I said earlier, this is one of the things I think even if I there's a lot of movies that fall into this category, this being one that I absolutely love. This is definitely like my favorite movie of the last few years, like come out recently, not just I've seen, but to be recent. This is a vision. And I know, Justin, you and I talked about this when we saw uh, Knives Out in theaters, like when we were over, we were like, yeah, we had problems with that movie. It wasn't perfect, but it was one dude's vision. And we respect that. Yep, yep. And this movie reminded me a lot of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I was mm. like, this is like a cheap, wacky Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. That I like that summary because I will never forget. Uh, Justin and I saw that in theaters the day it came out. And after it was over, Justin turned to me and said, I could not tell you what that movie was about, but it was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And Just I, these... These I, loose, loose plot yeah. movies. And I think that goes to Ben's point where this is why I've come to love the way this movie ends. Because you do want more. You, The first time I watched this movie, he goes over, you know, he finishes the whole kind of, the, the where's, you know, Sarah, where's the girl? He finishes that. 
There's a few other scenes. He goes over and has sex with the woman who's topless the whole movie with all the parrots. And he's like, what's that bird saying? And she goes, eh, I don't know. And I remember the first time I watched this, I was like, ah! I was like screaming in my apartment. (laughs) As soon as that scene happened with the bird, I was like, this bird's saying something important. It witnessed something involving the billionaire. You know, I'm trying to figure out what the hell it's saying. Nothing. And they just – it was all just to mess with your head. There's a scene where there are kids playing Marco Polo in the pool. Yep. And I totally think the bird was just saying Marco Polo. Ooh. (laughs) So so I think think this brings – so I'm I'm very pleasantly surprised. Uh, I know I love this movie. You guys haven't seen it as many times as I have. Um, This is a a Rob movie with a capital R. There's a – there's a furious masturbation scene while music is playing in reverse. That's what we need more of in movies, as far as Rob is concerned. Um, but I'm I'm glad to I'm glad to hear that both of you are intrigued by it because that's the premise of this movie. I, I think if anybody watches this movie and they're like, it was dumb and it didn't make sense, they've missed the entire point of the film. Because I I do want to read a quote. There's a great article from just before this movie's. Um, theatrical release in the u.s it's from vulture it's written by lane brown who i really like as a movie critic for vulture um and he quotes david robert mitchell the director and writer as saying the film is a mystery and there are mysteries inside of that mystery and some of the characters could be considered mysteries themselves will i explain any of them no <laughs> and it's so I gotta, Jesus to put a message in a message. Yes, yeah. He, Jesus wouldn't put a message in a message. I I love this aspect, and I think that if you've never seen this movie, um, if you're listening to Cinemodities because you're great fans of us, thank you. Um, even if you listen to this before you watch the movie, I think that this is a movie that there's nothing really to spoil because there's so many different interpretations. Sure, when we talk about like the ending with the rich men, modern rich men are pharaohs and that type of thing, that that might give something away, but that's not the whole idea of the movie. I don't think this movie deserves a plot breakdown. Like last week, and I think, Justin, you and I did as well for Like Mike, we kind of ran through the plot in a linear order. I think this, this movie is more deserving of asking the questions that the movie creates for us. And so I'm sure you guys have a bunch, and I know we got to talk about scenes that we love. I'm sure there's one scene we are all in agreement is one of the greatest things in cinematic history. But <laughs> we have to talk about, well, what is the bird saying? Is Andrew Garfield the dog killer? Like, like there's major questions that this movie presents and never gives us good answers to. And For real, though. What is the owl's kiss? Why does when the Owl's Kiss show up in Andrew Garfield's apartment, he searches his closet under his bed and then a drawer? Like, a person can't be in a drawer. (laughs) I know. And why'd the Owl end up going? Why does she chirp like a bird when he points a gun at her? (laughs) Yes, yes. So Is the redhead the Owl? So... yeah, I thought that too. That's a, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's there's so many layers to this movie, and I think before we get into it, because I do want to throw it over to you guys, because I have such a – I got like four pages of notes about this movie. I, I have so many <laughs> things to say. I'm really interested in what you guys picked up about it. But before we get there, I think we've all just made the point clear. If you've never seen this movie, listen to us and then watch it, watch it, then listen to us. We're not going to spoil anything. Sure, we might – guide you in certain ways if you listen to our discussion about what you think about certain things that happen in the film 
but it is it, it's kind of what they say about the Constitution and Finnegan's Wake. This is a living document. Everybody that sees this will think something different about it, and it's amazing. I respect it so much for that. So I will I will open the floor up. What do we want to talk about first? Do we want to hit I, big? Okay, Ben's got something. Go for it. I, I want to throw a major shout out to the fact that Andrew Garfield was, at least for one scene in this movie, Spider-Man again. <laughs> with, with the with the comic book on his hand yeah yes so he uh, he gets he has some like gum or something on his hand from some car vandalism that happens oh, to him oh yeah and then yeah, he like yeah. he he wakes up and he like touches a magazine and the magazine is the spider-man comic book and he's like it's stuck to his hand and he's like trying to shake it off and then he throws it across <laughs> the room which is a very spider-man thing to do oh yeah uh and then he looks at his hand and there's gum on his hand and you're like, oh, great, he's not actually Spider-Man. Great little touch. Great little touch, not only because of, of, as I've explained, how much Andrew Garfield talked shit on Spider-Man, which made him lose that role, which I don't think he ever wanted. Um, but that follows directly after the scene where he beats up children. Is that, and, the, is that what you're saying was the best scene yeah. in cinematic history? Because no, I thought I, no. that was fantastic. That is a great scene. That's one of my favorite scenes in the movie, but that's not my favorite. I do, in the same Vulture article, they quote Andrew Garfield talking about that scene. And I want to read this quote because this made me, I, I, like I said, I like Andrew Garfield, but I've respected him a little bit more for this. The great thing about being an actor is you get to do terrible things and not actually do them. There was a moment when I stick a raw egg in a kid's face, and I had to do it a bunch of times. And one time, there was an egg with a pretty thick shell that didn't break. And I was like, oh god, that probably hurt a little. The kid was having a great time, but it's a lot of responsibility when you're fake beating the shit out of children. <laughs> and I'm like, Andrew Garfield, you're selling me on being an actor. <laughs> So the the first time I watched that scene, I was it was watching it like it was a little to the side. I wasn't paying cl- the closest attention to it, and so like I see his cars vandalized, and then he sees kids, and then he just beats the shit out of one of them. On the rewatch, I realized like he he beats the shit out of a kid that's peeing on another car. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So he does have some like vocal um, confirmation that they were the people who vandalized his vehicle. Yeah. But he punches that kid straight in the fucking face. <laughs> <laughs> and that kid was small. Like, Andrew Garfield is a man, and he punches what appears to be a 12-year-old in the mouth. Oh, oh, yeah. So I guess I guess the question becomes is, you know, we don't – we see Andrew, – Andrew Garfield is our protagonist. And while he's never named in the movie, he is credited as Sam. Okay, they didn't name him. Because yes, I saw that on Wikipedia, that. and I was like, did I miss this? At, at no point in the movie do they say his name, but his he is credited as Sam. Um, but – he, I, I've seen torn things. I've done a lot of research on this movie because of how so dense it is. I want to see what other people think. It seems like everybody's split. Half the people are like, Sam is a good protagonist. I relate to him. And the other half people like, he is so unlikable, I can't stand him. But I have oh. to say, when he's beating up those kids, I'm like vicariously going, hell yeah, they keyed your car. They're pissing on shit. They're egging stuff. Like, why shouldn't they get the shit kicked out of them? Definitely. I, I, I was torn with Sam. I'm I'm watching him beat the shit out of kids, and I was like, oh, he's definitely the dog killer. 
from scene one, I was like, he's the dog killer. Just the way he looked at that, the writing on the window, I was like, he's the – and then he's beating the shit out of kids. He's creeping on women. I was like, this guy's such a piece of crap. He does but have on the sex other hand, with like everybody. <laughs> I know. He's the most awkward dude in the world and all these women are just like, you want to fuck? You're <laughs> creeping on me. Let's bang. <laughs> that scene near the end with uh, Millicent Sevens when they're in the reservoir – when they're in the Silver Lake and she's yeah. like, I wanted to make it look like we were going to screw. And he goes – we're not We're gonna not. screw. <laughs> I think someone's been following me. You kidding? I wanted it to look like we're here to screw. We're not. Oh man! But uh, but at the same time, you know, I, I I was like, I want this guy to solve the mystery. I don't just want him to be a psycho and this all be for for nothing. There's there's no code. There's no conspiracy. So it was like I was interested in his journey and I thought his acting was awesome. But at the same time, I was like, this guy's a piece of work. I I do love his acting, especially in the sense that I think 90% of the time he's mumbling. But the audio editing does it so well you can still hear what he's saying. Like when he reads the first – our first animated sequence, when he reads the, the dog killer under the Silver Lake comic, he's like, all the mysteries will be revealed under the Silver Lake. And it's so raspy <laughs> and low, but you know exactly what he's saying. And I'm like, thank you. I'm like, I'm like, I'm so tired of like the Christopher Nolan like thing that he's created where he's Christopher Nolan's like, who gives a shit if you can hear the dialogue? I want loud, blaring noises constantly in the background. Whether it's the Inception, or it's just like Dunkirk bombs exploding 24-7, you know? Uh, I definitely have to agree. I think Andrew Garfield's acting in this movie is phenomenal, especially the scene in the bathtub that, that you read. Oh, yes. uh, I just, I've just been thinking, why do we just assume that all of this infrastructure and entertainment and open information that is beaming all over the place all the time into every single home on the planet is exactly what we're told it is maybe there are people out there who are more important than us more powerful and wealthier than us that are communicating things and seeing things in the world that are meant for only them and not for us i think it's fucking ridiculous to assume that media has just one purpose right yeah. Oh, you think that's weird? A little. You don't. You don't ever think that maybe rich people know something that you and I don't. Like good restaurants, maybe. That being said, yeah. When he says, "I think it's fucking ridiculous," and the thing he does with his arms, oh yeah, it's perfect. <laughs> And then it gets um, followed up by the great where he goes, it's, it, it's ridiculous to assume that media has only one purpose, right? And the girl's like, mm-hmm. And he goes, oh, you think that's weird? Don't you think there are things that rich people know that we don't? And she goes, I don't know. Maybe where the good restaurants are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, I also – I think his character is, like, detestable as a person. Um, so okay. that doesn't mean I didn't enjoy watching him oh, as, as a protagonist. Sure. Like he, I'm yeah. sure he did a lot of things that I wish I could do, like punch children in the face. <laughs> but, and, but and figure he's, out codes and songs and things like that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But he's absolutely detestable and probably crazy. I think Justin uh, yeah. made the, the perfect point is that he's not a relatable or likable character in the sense of his personality. 
but the movie portrays it so well in the fact that we want him to solve the mystery that we are behind him no matter what he does. Yeah, definitely want him to succeed. Um, yep. I was concerned after he hits that guy in the face with the guitar that they were going to involve cops at some point. No, no just, <laughs> I was for, like, just for the yeah. eviction. <laughs> I was like, I really don't want that to be an arc of this movie. Like, I don't want him to interact with police and be in a police station. Like, I really don't want that to be a yep. scene I have to watch. Yep. Uh, and I'm glad they didn't do that. That scene is the greatest scene in cinematic history. I that, that's say. what you're talking the, about? The songwriter when... scene. We will have to do an entire... Just like oh. last week, Ben and I spent like 20 minutes on the dinner scene in I Heart Huckabees. We will probably have to spend that time on the the songwriter scene. But there's so much to even get to. Like One, when I watched this movie, even seeing it this many times, that the whole concept of the songwriter has almost nothing to do with the main mystery of the movie. But right? it's, it's just so important in the context of the mystery of the world that they've set up. Definitely. I mean, we don't have any idea who's paying him to put codes in the music. Yes. And and seemingly he doesn't have any idea who's paying him to put codes in the music. <laughs> I love that Andrew Garfield shows up. He gets into the house and he's like, Jefferson Sevens is dead. He's in a, He's in these tombs. Is there going to be a war? And the songwriter's like, I have no fucking clue what you're talking about. I'm going to write another <laughs> Backstreet Boys song. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so he doesn't have any idea who who is really pulling the strings. Yes. Uh, and that's absolutely like there's clearly some kind of like Illuminati level group of of rich people or people or homeless people like it's not really clear who's actually pulling the strings who he's like i saw you rubbing the statue's head who are you i'm the homeless king (laughs) i mean for all we know it could have been coyotes oh because they own everything coyotes use it yeah okay okay so this this is this is what i foresaw with this movie is that we all are intrigued by it and we could just buckshot the next two hours of conversation going all over the place but i do want some structure so ben you brought up the great spider-man point that was one to make justin i want to throw it over to you is there a scene or a question you had about this movie that we can tangentialize just like we did the last one (laughs) why can this man not wait for people to get out of the bathroom he's got (laughs) to roll up on jesus take it a shit and start punching him why are you punching me? <laughs> Even that, in the, in the was... woman's bathroom, he just pops out of, of behind yeah. the wall and he goes, hey, do you know this girl? <laughs> do you know who this girl is? Like, come on, be creepier. Just like, catch her on her way out at least. Yeah. And then all those girls start barking at him while he's on <laughs> the floor. Oh, oh, Get oh, the fuck oh, out of oh, here. Oh. It's the ladies' room. Piece of shit. What the hell? Why are they barking? So, so that that is a good question. I I have come to see. Uh, it's kind of I, I always waffle on this idea, but I guess my question in response to that is: Are dogs a symbolic representation of women in this movie? Or are women a symbolic representation of dogs? Because the thing that makes me question this, because the dog killer, you know, before we get to the fact, do we think Andrew Garfield's a dog killer? Yes. You know, the, the introduction of the dog killer that we get 
in the comic is that the the actors or the the guy in the comic says you know no one will be happy here until all the dogs are dead or like like Ben introduced himself as and i i kind of interpret that as this guy saying like i'm a man in hollywood and i'm so misogynistic that i can't make it cuz women get all the the legs up you know like like i can't suck harvey weinstein's dick and get a role just because i have the wrong genitalia but then we get the scene where Andrew Garfield is, like, walking in his neighborhood, and there's just a ton of women in short skirts converging on a garage with a cardboard box that has, says movie auditions on it. And they're all giving their resumes to, like, this fat old dude. And I'm like, so, I'm like, I'm confused myself still after seeing it so many times. Which direction does the symbolism go in? Because the women barking, which happens multiple times throughout the movie... I think that could go either way, right? Yes, yeah. So I, my my take on this, um, at least you know from the, the limited viewing I have of it. Uh, so Andrew Garfield actually mentions having had a significant other who had a dog, yes, and him like missing the significant other and therefore like wanting like that's supposedly why his dog treats in his pocket yes, later. Talking about the ends with the homeless king at the end. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So um, my take on it is that it's a little bit of both. Um, to, to Andrew Garfield, I, I think if he's the dog killer, he kills dogs because they represent the love he lost mm-hmm. or, or the, um, the thing he couldn't attain. And that's pretty similar to, uh, the idea of, of the actor who hated dogs because they were in the way of, of his, uh, his acting career. Yes. Um, but th- you know, the dog represents the woman that he's mad at. The dog doesn't represent like he's not killing it because it's a dog. He's killing it because it represents the woman. Yeah. So I don't so, know. I guess. So did you guys get? I I've always taken it. I think even from the first viewing, the girl that he's talking about, whether or not Andrew Garfield is lying in that last scene with the homeless king, that's a whole different discussion. But the woman he's talking about that used to have a dog and who wants to feed the dog treats and rub its behind its ears and everything will be like it was. I take that it's strongly implied that that is the woman from the billboard that he sees at the party with the fiance. Yes, yeah. yeah, okay, okay. Yeah, definitely. Cuz that scene is so awkward that they can't not be ex-lovers, right? Definitely. Yeah, absolutely they're ex-lovers. And, and all the scenes with him just staring at the billboard. Was it it more... heavily implies that Was that there more than there's one some connection? Well, There's at least two times where yeah. he runs into he, the billboard. He's, he's like seeing it being painted over. Yes, he sees it once at the in the middle, and then he sees it at the end when it's it's half her face and half like the knockoff or discount Ronald McDonald face, and it says hamburgers are love. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, there there wasn't another billboard scene. I don't. Those were the only two. There, I thought I don't there was think more. So. I don't. I only remember those two. Um. But I, that's kind of a recurring theme in this movie, also, like uh, consumerism. Oh yeah. To some degrees, like, so you know, the guy talks about it, like that's as common as hamburger and tits. Like, <laughs> yeah, we get that great montage of all the the advertisements where it's like it says like, "Will this blow your mind?" And then it zooms in on blow, and then it has like the woman with like the McChicken in front of her face and all that stuff. And yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, that that that's another great scene. I'm so upset that we only get him for one scene. But the the guy who writes the comic books, the Under the Silver Lake uh, comic book, that's good old uh, Patrick Fischler. Patrick Fischler has been in fucking everything as just a character actor. Like he's in Lost, he's in Mulholland Drive, which we're going to talk about later in this month. He's in Twin Peaks: The Return. Like 
he's just a weird looking oh, yeah. dude that knows how to own his weird looking dude aspect. <laughs> That's another laugh out loud moment in the movie for me where he has all the death masks on his wall and he's like, he's like, oh, and I got Johnny Depp and I got Grace Kelly and I got, you know, Marlon Brando or, or Orson Welles or whoever. And he's like, I really got to get a family. So I have someone to leave these two, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I had Abraham Lincoln. Yeah. This movie's low key funny in that way. <laughs> uh, so whenever he, he unveils that code and it says what rub rub dean's head and wait under newton yes i half expected him to go back to that guy's house and find dude that was my the first time i watched this he he said rub dean's head and i was like he has to go back to the mask of james dean yeah and then you just have to have grand knowledge of la to know that there's a james dean statue at griffith observatory (laughs) (laughs) yeah there's no Uh, limit to andrew garfield's knowledge he's just right, like the way he breaks these codes and the jumps he makes, God, like when he's doing the codes and he just knows how to put numbers like under which word and break it out into oh, a chessboard. Oh, that which, is so. So the, the by he, the way, we have to talk about the chess references yes, the, again. The second time Justin is on this podcast, the first one being predicated by I didn't. I don't think I told Ben this. I got Justin on our Like Mike episode by he had to come on the podcast and discuss it. And I traded him a game of chess. And it turned out that Like Mike had a large chess component. And so does this movie. Maybe not so as large. The... But we get a chess party in this movie. It's like fate once again, Justin. Anytime there's a movie I with know. chess in it, you're going to have to be involved. Well, I would argue this is a larger part of the movie. This actually – chess was actually important to the plot True. of this film. True. So the, the code in the song, I, I don't know what, what clued him in. But it appears that he counts the letters of the lyric of the yes. words in the lyrics, I, and yeah, then yeah. just finds letters on the cover of the album that, is, that correspond to those numbers. The lyrics on the album—that's what he's getting the letters yeah. from. Okay. But the reason yeah, but he it... knows how to space them apart, and this is something I love, is because when he has the breakthrough of how to space them apart, he is sitting on his porch playing his guitar with yeah. the chords of the song. And when he does like three three five seven and three three five seven to skip numbers, those are the fingerings of the chords in the song. Oh. So that's how he breaks that code. When he's playing the song okay. on guitar, he's playing three three five seven, and there's some zeros in there. But of course, you don't skip anything for zero, which I love. That's a great the music, the actual fingering on the chords tells him how many to skip in the lyrics of the song. And it's fantastic. I really do like that one. I like that more than the Nintendo Power Magazine one. I was pretty pumped about the Zelda. Uh, I'm going to have to rewatch that because I thought he was counting the the number of letters in the words. So he was. He he was. But the numbers that he gets are from the the positions of his fingers on the guitar chords. So the only reason. So the only reason he knows to go three, three, five, and seven. Mm-hmm. is because the guitar chord in the song Turning Teeth is he has his fingers on the third tab, the third tab, the fifth tab, the fifth fret, and the seventh fret. Okay, but he the I think the lyrics that it shows a close-up are, are You Are Alone. Okay. Which also, have, like, it's three letters in U, three letters in R, and five in Alone. Oh, because the number's how many you skip. How many you skip what? Right. So, so isn't it? I I think it's like so he skips he, three and then gets the R. He skips three and gets the U, something like that. And, and so, so R would be like he had a fourth to figure letter. out on on the Nintendo Power 
where to put the numbers and the letters, the locations. So and that the was not just is like a. even. I, I would have to rewatch it to know the exact lyrics for sure. I want to rewatch it as well because yes. I'm not following what, you, what you're talking about with the skipping. Uh, but yeah, just I had the same thought. Like, why does he put the letters across the top and the numbers across the side? Yeah. Why he, not the other way? Yeah, there were a few things that I was like, where's he getting this from? That's because it's a chess move, right? Yeah, yeah, but he's he's labeling the grid. Yeah. And so, like, he puts the, the letters across the top and the numbers across the side. Is that the way it's done on chess boards? I thought so. Isn't it? Isn't it uh, no, the, the, the letters are at the bottom. Which yeah. I guess is the top, and the numbers yeah, are on, on your, the side. on the okay. player side, and the numbers are on the the grid, the non-player side, right? Uh, right. But did he just did he just like evenly space them across the Zelda map? You, uh, you can see that there's some dashed lines in the Zelda map that delineate yeah. squares. Yeah, it's a well, they're like rectangles, but it's a clear. yeah, yeah. But you okay. can there is there is a it's a very subtle, but there is a clear separation. Dude, I fucking okay. love this shit. This is exactly what I wanted to talk about with this movie, the nitty-gritty details. I love this shit. <laughs> uh, but then, like, he gets that, that film map out of that old cereal space, box. Yes, he, Space Stones, which yeah. he, he, he eats a little bit of he and he eats, throws yeah. up. <laughs> I'm, yeah, sure, he I'm sure that's going to be a snack we all have to reference later on. <laughs> but uh, he only got that because he met the guy who wrote the, the Under the Silver Lake comic book. Yep, yep. And oh, yeah. that guy was like, this is really important to me. So whenever he died, Andrew Garfield was like, I'm going to steal that. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, that's the first time that we get confirmation that the owl kiss thing is real. Yes, because he has – because I love – I do love that setup because the first time he goes to the comic book writer's house, the comic book writer shows him like the hidden hole in the wall where he has all the uh, the videotapes and surveillance set up. And then when they the cops find him dead, Andrew Garfield like waits till the cops leave because the cops have no reason to look for a false room in the wall. But Andrew yeah. Garfield knows about it and he gets to watch the videotape and see the owls kiss. Oh, that's a that might be the most like horrific scene or not horrific, but like actual scary scene in the movie where Andrew Garfield is like, "Oh my god, this dude was fucking right about something." <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. I felt like she was going to pop up behind him. The way that yeah. it was filmed, I was just waiting for her to oh, just yeah. jump scare. They definitely made it seem like she knew he was watching in the recording. Yes. Yeah. Like that. She, looked she at the looks camera. right at the camera. Oh, yeah. I uh, love the owl's kiss. That's such a cool concept. So uh, the way she walks, like her, the middle of her body is like extended further outward than it should be <laughs> while she's walking. Yeah. So like that would that had to be like an intentional choice, and I'm kind of curious about why that happened. And when we see her on camera for the first time, not on the recording of the surveillance, but when she shows up in Andrew Garfield's apartment, the way the legs extend from like the pantry onto the floor, and she like contorts herself out of the cabinet, I'm like, oh, this is I need more of this. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then she points a gun at her, and she chirps like a like a dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, the first time I watched this movie, they introduce the owl's kiss in the comic. They they introduce it in the surveillance thing, and I'm like, okay, I'm like, what is this? Is this like a metaphor for for paranoia, for suicide, for like getting too deep into something? 
but then it runs from a gun. So it's clearly a real thing that understands fear. <laughs> yeah, it, I mean, it, it appears to just be a person. Like, it's a person yeah. in a mask. I, I've kind of grown what? to oh, see it okay. as, it, it's, it's something, the Owl's Kiss is on the same level to me as the songwriter. It's, it's, it's that Illuminati level, like, hired by higher-ups to do something, to keep people from preventing, or prevent them from understanding the conspiracy, but they don't really know why, maybe. Do you but, think she's, like, a hired assassin? Yeah, that's what it seems like. Okay. Like a like a like a Baba Yaga John Wick type thing, you know? <laughs> I don't know, but I thought the cop would definitely have searched that little cubby, okay? <laughs> Come on. That's negligence. A dude gets murdered. And He's that was not a well hidden little cubby. As far cubby. as they're concerned. Yeah, yeah concerned. they do cite it as a suicide. Oh, okay, so okay. I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to be uh, stereotypical of L.A. cops, but if they see it's a suicide, <sighs> that's a lot easier paperwork than a homicide, right? <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. Definitely. <laughs> oh, dude. So, yeah, another tangent. Yeah, why can't Andrew Garfield stay out of bathrooms? <laughs> Dude. That's where we started with the whole thing. So Creeping so, on people in the bathrooms. Have you seen this girl? I love the fact. That's one of the things that stood out to me in the first time I saw this movie. Like, almost everyone he encounters, he's just like, hey, have you seen this girl? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Even the songwriter, when he, the songwriter's just like, I don't know what you're talking about. He's like, hey, have you seen this girl? And she's like, he's like, she's pretty. <laughs> <laughs> so, we had a question from Ben. We had a question from Justin. Well, before before oh, we get too oh, far God. from this... Can we just take a moment to acknowledge there was an exclusive chess party with Hollywood folk, with musicians, hot chicks, a pool? I need to know, are these real, and how do we get to one? (laughs) Okay, okay, good. Why are we swimming on a roof when there's an ocean right over there? (laughs) (laughs) So I, I don't know. I would assume that there are chess parties. That seems like the Hollywood elite. That's something that they think is intelligent or makes them intelligent that they would want to host right i don't know any chess party i've ever heard of is just a bunch of nerds <laughs> Come they, on, they, like... said, they said that guy just wanted to not be alone yeah yeah that he's doing it for like these superficial reasons well so i mean is that superficial though i mean they may seem as if this guy is incredibly like lonely so, like, they're really highlighting the aspect that this person who is ridiculously successful, presumably, true, is also incredibly lonely. And and I think human connection is probably one of the most basic needs that we have. So oh, yeah. I don't know that it's superficial for him to be like, I want people around me. Um, that being said, I mean, they are clearly, like, fake friends for him yes. to need to throw these parties for that. Yeah, because who do we get? You know, we get um, – we get uh... – uh, Andrew Garfield, he's invited by uh, his friend Alan, played by the fantastic Jimmy Simpson, best known as being, I think, Liam McPoyle from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. <laughs> yeah, the McPoyle brothers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Also has a great role as a um, as a an agent for Frank Underwood in uh, House of Cards in the earlier seasons as, like, the computer hacker. Yeah, Jimmy Simpson's great. But I, I love... Uh, who else is there? You know, Jesus is there. The Bride's of Dracula is there. The Balloon Girl is there. That is literally yeah, what she's Girl's credited there. as is Balloon Girl in the in the credits. <laughs> the redhead. She, hey, she was in like a, a soap opera or a drama or something when she was like five to six months oh, old. One of the funniest lines in the movie when. Yeah. Because I guess we should say all the women come in trios. 
like th- this movie is a lot about the trios of women, like the three brides of Dracula, the three women um, that go off with Jefferson Severance, the three women at the end that go off with Don McManus, the who's credited as the final man in the hut at the end. Um, the, there's so many threes in this of women that the three shooting stars are uh, the the red haired one that Justin mentioned, um, the balloon girl who has the great line, I'm trying to find, because I know I wrote it down. Yes, I was in a soap, because they're all shooting stars, as they call themselves. And she says, I was in a soap opera between the ages of five to six months. (laughs) 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 And the third shooting star, who we unfortunately don't get enough of in this movie, someone we love here on Cinemodities, is the fantastic actress Sydney Sweeney. Sydney Sweeney is is has the least role of the shooting stars, but Justin might know her as one of the Manson girls from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. She actually Holy appears shit. in that scene. She has is a, that why I had such a strong Once Upon a Time in Hollywood vibe? Maybe. Uh, Cinemodities listeners know Sydney Sweeney better as the best character from the HBO original series Euphoria, in which she turns down having sex with somebody. And the guy yells at her and goes, who the fuck do you think you are? You're boring. You don't have a personality. If any guy wants to talk to you and not want to fuck you, you're fucking wrong. And Wow. She, oh, it's, it's the hardcore, <laughs> most misogynistic thing. And Sydney Sweeney plays it fantastically. <sighs> who the fuck do you think you are? What? Well, this is literally the second time you've done this to me. So if we're not going to fuck, then what are we doing? being serious you think i'm here because i'm interested in you and what you have to say or what you think about things as if you're so fucking interesting fuck are you dumb you came on to me remember and ever since then you show up you lead me on and then you whine about your fucking boyfriend like every time you start talking i think to myself who the fuck does this girl think she is you are so fucking boring hey I'm going to be honest with you because no one else will. Any guy who says he's interested in you beyond just fucking you is full of shit. So good luck with your boyfriend. Oh, you're crying now. What else is new? One of my complaints of this movie, one of the few complaints, we need more Sydney Sweeney. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yes, uh, they're all at the party. And this chess party is, I think, capped off fantastically because even though chess isn't the focal point, we get the great scene where, like, Andrew Garfield sees Jesus go to the bathroom or he follows him into the bathroom. And right before he leaves, he makes a chess move with Jimmy Simpson. Are you sure you want to do that? Yeah. Are you sure? That doesn't look like a good move. Are you sure you want to do that? Andrew Garfield's like, yeah, fuck you. And he leaves and <laughs> never comes back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and, then he, and then he follows Jesus into the shitter. <laughs> Pulls him off of the toilet. It shows shit. us the sh- it shows us the shit in the toilet, and it and was it's a, not a good looking shit. Yeah, <laughs> yes. oh. that's some coronavirus shit if I've ever seen. Oh him. yeah, it's got like that. I, I don't know that. I don't know the. Uh, I didn't write it down, but um, I don't think that actor has done much of noteworthy. The guy who plays Jesus, but <laughs> why are you hitting me? <laughs> what the fuck, man? Did he shit? Just the fuck off me! Why'd you put a card in the song? What are you talking about? 
about? What are the tunnels for? What? <laughs> why are you hitting me? Your sound turning teeth. There's a fucking code in it. I need to know why you put it in there and what the fuck it means. Help. <laughs> Fucking tell me! I don't know anything about a code. How could you not know? You wrote the fucking song. No, I didn't. I wrote most of them, but not that one. Bullshit. Honestly, the label gave me a few songs to record. The rest are all mine. So which songs did they give you? Turning Teeth, Wire Mountain, and Waltz of the Christian Ship Warmers. That's all the hits? Stories to belittle me, man. <laughs> Why are you hitting me? And he does a he does a fantastic performance as he's like turn Andrew Garfield's like turning teeth. You wrote this song. Why'd you put the codes in? He's like he's like oh no he's like I didn't write that song. I wrote all the songs in the studio. Gave me some to make. And he was like which ones? And he's like this turning teeth. Blah 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 and blah blah. And he's like you fuck it. He's like you expect me to believe that all your hits are the ones that somebody There's no else wrote reason for you? To he's belittle like yeah me. I don't know. I don't know about the songwriter. There's no reason to belittle me. Yes. <laughs> I, I took that a little differently. I didn't think Andrew Garfield was like skeptical that it was all the hits. I think Andrew Garfield was like judgmental that it was all the hits. Like, oh, it's just like all the hits. Mm, like, oh, the guys sure. like, there's okay. no reason to belittle me. <laughs> oh, and, and he's I, he's squeaky and high pitched for like that whole scene. Yeah, he's just like so afraid. And Andrew Garfield's not necessarily the most imposing of people. Well, I mean, no matter who you are, if somebody pulls you off the toilet, legs first, you gotta, you're in a position of, you're, you do not have power in that role, right? Still, like, if, if it were me, like, I, I'd be throwing some punches back, I'd be headbutting Andrew Garfield, but you instead know, he's just like, ah, I'm getting hit, oh, I'm getting hit. I, I think that brings up a really good point about how we as the viewer perceive him versus how other people in the movie perceive him. Right. Like he's clearly creeping mm. on these women and the chick's like, were you watching me with binoculars? Because now I want to bang you, you know, <laughs> were you masturbating? Yeah. Were you masturbating? It's it's not that no, I masturbate. no, why? Everybody masturbates. I do, too, <laughs> but I wasn't She's like, oh, OK. <laughs> and that one, you know, he's just letting him kick his ass. Even when he shows up to the songwriter's place, right? The songwriter's just expecting him. Come on, that's places in the yes. middle of nowhere. I don't think that this. Well, okay, so if the songwriter was expecting him, it's because the songwriter was informed by the Illuminati. Um, yeah, but I, I think more that the songwriter's just fucking crazy, and he's like, that's fair. he's he just like, whatever gun. happens in my life is fine. And yeah, oh, this guy oh, is, yeah, that's okay. Because as the movie tells us, he has at least two yes. guns ready to go, <laughs> and in he the has two weapons. At least two. If Andrew Dar if Andrew Garfield didn't kill him, he might have had, he, he had three Kirk or Romain's more. Guitar and forgot about it. Like, that's I have so many things. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I have a lot of things. <laughs> it's, uh, well, what does it say though that the songwriter's reaction to Andrew Garfield is one of the most explainable ones? I mean, come on. Are you, are you the... saying that like him <laughs> shooting at Andrew Garfield is is more understandable than? I don't know, than trying to bang him because he's looking at you with binoculars? Yes. I I mean, I wholeheartedly she... agree. I just wanted to make sure what I was saying. It, it's an actual defensive move. It might be the only defensive move someone puts oh, up against Andrew Garfield. So I, yeah. I, had, I really appreciated that he used Kurt Cobain's, Kurt Cobain's guitar to ruin somebody's face, which I think is what happened to Kurt Cobain oh, yeah. with a shotgun. 
if I if I so like and, and not only does he hit this guy in the face, the second time he hits him, his entire face is gone and his head becomes like a bowl of blood. <laughs> <laughs> so yes. So okay, okay. I think it's I think it's time. I we, we this this might be. The greatest thing I've ever seen in a movie ever. I love the songwriter scene because it is revealed that all or most famous songs of our generations and multiple generations past, including a Beethoven song, were written by this one old white person. And they person. weren't written on a guitar. They were written with a piano. <laughs> right here on this piano Somewhere between a blowjob and an omelet, <laughs> as he says. <laughs> so, so I, I have, I have watched more than I've watched this movie. I've watched this scene because I love it so much. Because I want to know every single song I was hoping that you'd have he a plays list. in this scene. And for, and for you guys in this audience, I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw down all the ones that I've recognized. I think there might be two to four that I'm missing because they're so quick. But the ones that are main, front and center. Here we go. These are in order. I'm I'm probably going to put the clip in because it's so fucking good. I don't always worry what the message is. I just pass it along. I slip it between the notes, hide it away from people that know it's there. You're saying you've done this before? Codes? I wrote the music your dad grew up to. Half of what you sang along to as a kid, and I'm still doing it. And these teenagers are dancing to my music. I want it that way. Tell me why. You're telling me there's hidden messages in old pop songs? Movies, television shows, everything you know. Why? That's pop culture, isn't it? floats away like tissue paper. Yeah, I blow my nose. I find a used Kleenex, I recycle it, and there is your wedding song. Here it comes. I wanna know what love is. <laughs> and I want you to show me. What are the tunnels for? Is there gonna be a war? Oh, hell, I don't know. I'm just trying to make a living, earn a few dollars. Well, you have everything. No. You know this girl? Well, isn't she pretty? Earth Angel, Earth Angel. She was killed. Oh, won't you be mine? Well, Along with Jefferson Sevens, but I think you already knew that. Huh? No, I did not. I don't care what's fashionable or cool. It's all silly and it's all meaningless. I created so many of the things that you care about. The songs that give your life purpose and joy. When you were 15 and rebelling, you were rebelling to my music. Uh-oh. That's one you know. <laughs> that song was not written on distorted guitar. 
No. I wrote it. Here. On piano somewhere between a blowjob and an omelet. There is no rebellion. There's only me earning a paycheck. I don't believe you. Well, good. Because the real message was not meant for you. So it's better if you just smile and you dance and you enjoy the melody. Because this ugly old man, me, I am the voice of your generation. Your grandparents, your parents, and all the young people that follow you. I love rock and roll. Drop another dime in the jukebox, baby. <laughs> oh, look at you. <laughs> Everything that you hoped for, that you dreamed about being a part of, is a fabrication. Your art. Your writing, your culture, is the shell of other men's ambitions. Ambitions beyond what you will ever understand. <laughs> That's funny to you. Well, it's a little bit funny, don't you think? <laughs> because I wrote this, and I wrote this, <laughs> and I wrote this. Stop it. And I wrote this too. Stop it. <laughs> Who's paying you to write these songs? <laughs> Who's paying you to write these songs? <laughs> okay, we start with Crazy Train by Ozzy. Ozzy Osbourne. We go to Jump by Van Halen. We go to I Want It That Way by the Backstreet Boys. And then we go to the Cheers theme song, which Ben and Justin, I have to say, this makes me a little less happy about the flashback episode of Adventure Time where Simon is turning into the Ice King and he sings the Cheers theme song to Marceline. That makes that moment <laughs> hit a little bit less for me. <laughs> Use the remote to turn on the TV. Do, 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 do. Making your way in the world today takes everything you got. Taking a break from all your worries sure would help a lot. Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. What is this? Film before a live studio audience. <laughs> Norm. Mute. He then goes into I Want to Know What Love Is by Foreigner. He does a great little clip of Inagata de Vida by Iron Butterfly, Earth Angel by Marvin Berry after he sees the picture of Sarah, then Smells Like Teen Spirit by Nirvana. He does a little riff of Push It by Salt and Peppa. He does I Love Rock and Roll by Joan Jett, and then when the scene is really reaching its climax, he goes into Where Is My Mind by Pixies, Ode to Joy by Beethoven, the Beverly Hills Cop theme. We also get La Bamba by Richie Valens. And then finally, when the shooting happens and when we get the great murder scene by Andrew Garfield, it's Pinball Wizard by The Who. So we have to talk about this scene. I need to bring up, this is masterful artistic direction. Because I think both of you guys, I think anybody that watches this movie, it is clear that the songwriter is someone in old man makeup. Yeah. This is not actually an old man. 
it's an old man um, makeup. Type so of thing. one other thing, like his eyebrow ridge is wrong. Yes, ve- ve- <laughs> his face is very wrong. I, um, I don't know if I knew it was makeup. I couldn't rem- rem- like I couldn't stop looking at his eyebrow ridge. Uh, one of the, so one of the things that's happened to me as I started drawing more is I like look at the structure of people's faces a lot more. And yeah, so like I was I was like mesmerized by by the fact that his eyebrow ridge like covered half of where his eyes should have been. <laughs> oh, his his face is his face is clearly wrong. As soon as yeah. you see him, you know there's something wrong with him. I I definitely got like a Phantom of the Opera type of vibe. Sure, sure. So so it is a guy named I had it. Where'd it go? Jeremy Bob. Jeremy Bob has not been in a lot of things, but he's uh I think in his 30s at this at this point in time when this movie was filmed. And um they put him in old age makeup and this this is the thing I love about this scene is because, one, the scene works. You know, like, as as it stands, I think the scene is amazing whether or not it's an actual old man or a, or a person in old man makeup. The reason that it is so fantastic on a movie-making perspective to me is because when they have to switch to the scene where we get the shot of, of the songwriter laying on the ground and the guitar making contact with his face, turning it into the bloody pulp that it becomes, it's not jarring. It's still just prosthetic makeup. Imagine this. If we had an actual old man playing that role, when they needed to cut to the scene where his face gets pummeled in, they would have had to create a prosthetic double, and it would have looked different. In this way, they were able to create a character and a prosthetic that look exactly the same, and they don't lose continuity wow. when the guitar smashes his face in. And it's, it's, it's beautiful. It's, it's me saying, hey, David Robert Mitchell, even though you made an incredibly dumb movie called It Follows, you're a great director. You know how movies are made and how they should be made. And that's why this scene hits so well. Not only because we get the great lines of, of the songwriter saying, you know, your art, your writing, your culture is the shell of other men's ambition, ambitions beyond what you will ever understand. And Andrew Garfield has that complete breakdown. But when we get the murder scene, there's nothing lost. I, I, I don't know if how recently it's been since you guys seen it, but the original Terminator, there's a scene where like Arnold as the Terminator has to like tear his skin away and replace his circuitry. And you can tell. Like, it is the most obvious thing that you go from real Arnold to fake prosthetic face Arnold tearing his skin away. This movie, this movie goes, okay, there's no reason you need to ever see that difference. As far as we're concerned as an audience, the character getting his face smashed in looks exactly like the old man makeup that that's in good the point. rest of the scene. That's really it's neat. It's amazing. I, I had no idea. So, so I guess uh, uh, greatest scene ever. Or greatest scene ever. I want to get your opinion. This is this is amazing. I love the fact that this character is basically everything you've ever loved and feigned your uh, your personality over is the creation of one person or one group sending us messages. That is amazing. Oh, he says, I love. He says something about like ideas you thought that you came up with or thought thoughts that you came to on your own were fed to you. Yes, uh, uh, ideologies that you assume you adopted through free will are actually gained through carefully constructed messages. And this is, this is the thing that I've come to realize looking more into the music industry. Like, do you know how many 
A lot. Songs aren't written by yeah. their artists? Like, this is a... Yes, this is a thing that this movie is getting at, is that there are songwriters that yeah. make so much stuff that we think belongs to In Madonna sync. or Cardi B or or whoever... The, the well, thing that blows my mind the most is, like, you'll have very different genres written for by the same person. Like, you'll have, like, one of those, like, prissy girly pop exactly. singers and then, like, a heavy metal band. And it's, like, the same guy writing their lyrics. Yeah. That's, mm-hmm. I mean, that's, well, that's some range, I guess. Some crazy shit, though. Some other things about this scene is it's it's almost like the first time you get true confirmation that the conspiracy that Sam's been chasing the whole movie is really as deep as he thinks it is. You know, that, that random songwriter's place that you were at at that party, you mentioned what I hired you to be a prostitute, but really just wanted to grill you about the girl I've been grilling everyone about is finally we see this guy and it's like, holy shit, there is this, this deeper world. And we're starting to see the, the curtain lifted. That was well put, Justin. (laughs) <laughs> that, that summary of how he got information oh, about love, them of the, <laughs> is very well put. Um, but, but at the same time, it's also this huge critique of, of Hollywood and the music industry and just our reality about subliminal messaging and all these other things. Mm-hmm. So it's like this real world reflection and simultaneously this huge plot device. It's, it's, it's immaculate. I really – I love this scene so goddamn much, not only because it ends in someone's head getting bashed in and you need, <laughs> yeah. you need that like gore and violence to, to keep movies going. And I think that this movie does it well where this is really our only scene of it. But it's just also the fact that it's basically like everything you've ever – he says, he's like what your daddy rebelled to, what your grandfather rebelled to, what you rebelled to is all the work of one old white man. <laughs> he mentions uh, that – it was like to a greater degree in the past. He says something along the lines of like everything your dad listened to and most of what you listened to, something like yes. that. So I don't know if that's to indicate that he's um, slowing down or that the, the forces that be are not quite as powerful or maybe just that there's other oh. groups of people that have come out and are making music that they're not touching. Mm. So, something that's like that. Interesting. That That's interesting. Can, I can say for a fact uh, to, to Ben, to Justin, to our audience, um, as far as we know... My bands and Inspiriority Complex and the Immortal Lansberries. Nobody else writes our music, as far as we know. <laughs> that sounds like a ruse to me. Anyone who says that, I'm skeptical of immediately. I hope that everybody listens to our music and searches for secret codes. Uh, the the secret code is just listen to our music. I think if there's any secret code we put into our music, it's that. <laughs> Try playing it backwards. Who knows what you'll find. Exactly. Yeah, so this scene, this this songwriter scene is so goddamn amazing. And and it works in the movie because this is how he gets his gun for like the the owl, owl's kiss scene and for the final scenes and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, ben just made me think of something really interesting. The idea of him implying that there's more that he's not the one and only songwriter that he's part of this sort of legacy oh. of of controllers is same with the dog killer. Right? Yeah. Is there there's a parallel that... there. Yeah. Because... That's a really I never thought of that. I when I first watched this movie, I thought him killing the songwriter was going to carry weight and it does not. It, it does not. It never comes up again. 
like that would be the sequel is like why do we not have good music anymore (laughs) (laughs) but but that's a really interesting point justin is that if this if this illuminati-esque group who's paying or are hiring these to write these songs they would not put their eggs in one basket definitely so there has to be other mansions that people aren't allowed in (laughs) right yeah um that's that's really interesting I mean, if we did say it's Illuminati level, so there's, I, there'd have to be like a network of them, right? Like, oh, oh yeah, it, there, there's got to be, especially with the, what we get at the end, where the the guy is like in the white robes is like, you know, everybody in the modern age with riches and powerfulness does this, you know, they transcend so to that, that level. That's another question. So, like, one of the messages in here was was what led him to the. The bunker, which is not clear to me why, like, um, unless the specific rich person whose bunker that was knew to be listening for that message in that song. Yes, it it, it would have to be targeted for sure. So, Rob Dean's head and Wayne are new. (laughs) So from what I can tell, like, it's not 100% important that that the rich person knows where the, the tomb is. Because they're going to end up there anyway, and there's going to be some kind of cover-up scenario. Um, are are these? Is it a network of rich people that are paying the songwriter to help them communicate between each other? Is that the songwriter's connection to this whole thing? That that's what it seems like to me, and that's where I think the it, it makes sense that the owl's kiss fits into killing the people who are getting the trail of the code and the conspiracy. That would make sense. Uh, but then like they let, they let Sam go at the end or, or yeah, at the end they, they let him go and he's like, yes. are you going to kill me? And they're like, we haven't decided yet. Oh yeah. Just, just like <laughs> yeah. the, uh, the transcend space and time scene where he's like, are you going to kill me? No, maybe we don't know yet. <laughs> <laughs> um, so are the homeless people working for these rich people also? Like, is that... And, yeah, that's and, very unclear. And the and coyotes, yes. are they in on this? And and what the fuck is up with the pirate? Why does the pirate <laughs> want to box with the vibrator in it? And the like, pirate, so... He, the like, first... gets the box and runs away. Like, it's... Yes, and, and he, he makes so many appearances throughout the film. But my... When I first watched this movie the first few times, I was convinced that the pirate was Jefferson Sevens. Okay. Was the was the dead billionaire playboy because he was trying to collect the things for his three brides. Sure. But Including I their dildos. And oh my god, which Andrew Garfield smells in that <laughs> scene. That <laughs> this is hilarious. So I that, wasn't sure if he was gonna pocket it or not. I thought he was gonna pocket it also. I know, just, right? <laughs> but that that raises some other questions about what the fuck is in that box. There's a picture of herself it's yes. a Polaroid, a Polaroid of herself, a vibrator, some some what appear to be trophies or statues, like some dolls or something. Oh, yeah, the, the, the three dolls that show up in her room earlier when Andrew Garfield's there, yeah. Why is she keeping these items together? In a box? And why is that in a the closet only thing she left didn't behind. take? After talking for a little over an hour, I think, we are we are hitting the point I knew would happen. There are some questions I don't know if we can answer about this movie. <laughs> but, so, so then the pirate accepts this box and runs away with it as if as if this is like a secretive transfer of things. Yes. And like even even more to that, like he he makes them get in a paddle boat 
and fucking row out to give yes. it to him. And and we do <laughs> we do see that he does give them. Well, it's implied that he does give them to the girl and Jefferson Severance because at the end, right before Andrew Garfield talks to um, Sarah on the video phone when she's already in the bunker. The people in the the guy in that hut shows them a picture of the three of them in the bunker, and she has those three dolls. Oh, okay. oh so he's like a henchman then. Yeah, it sort of seems like. Yeah. So so there is no crediting, as from every single source I looked for and searched for, there is no crediting on who plays the pirate because it what? would be clear. It would be clear if if it was played by the same guy who was Jefferson Sevens, and that's what I thought. Because it was Jefferson Sevens getting ready to go into his entombment with the three brides, and he's collecting everything they need. No, billionaires don't show up to paddle boats and do a wacky run with a eye patch. So apparently, I found which we're going to talk about later. We're going to talk about the internet community behind this movie later because there's a huge, huge cult following for this movie. There was a post I found that said that someone watched this movie with an Amazon extra features ability turned on and they would talk about it was like a commentary and it would talk about and give pop-up information on who the actors were in that scene and apparently according to this version of the movie the guy who plays the pirate is sky ebelar sky ebelar is the person that plays the comic book shop owner in the beginning of the film the guy who oh. says, oh, okay, I'll pass the mess, John, but I don't need your five dollars. Yeah. That was some pompous shit. Okay, sure, but I don't need your five dollars. Oh, yeah, I love that line. Okay, I don't need your five dollars. But according to one source I've found, one, he I'm not plays convinced. the pirate. Why would the pirate shop help? The guy find the under the silver lake guy who's un- uncovering their whole conspiracy. If he's a henchman, I yeah. I I don't know. I that's one of the things I'm confused about because, like I said, when I first watched the movie, I thought it was Jefferson Severance, but it's just it's not him. It's just this pirate. It's this it's this middleman. It's so it's mysterious. <laughs> so the the pirate shows up may, maybe for the first time when Sam's at Sarah's apartment. Yes, when her when her roommates come back and they're like, "We brought yeah. somebody," so, and it's the pirate. Do Do you know how are the roommates? I, I I'm having trouble remembering who the the women are down in the bunker with with. Oh yeah, Sarah. oh yeah, Th- those three roommates. roommates are the women in the bunker okay. at the end. Yeah, All right, yeah. So they come home. They're with the pirate. Maybe it's Severance. Maybe it's not. Sure. But then she's like, "You need to leave now." Yeah, maybe, but like she wasn't necessarily interested in hiding him from them. He just she just didn't want him to be there anymore. Yeah, and then yeah. they go outside and and the fireworks are going off, and she seems kind of terrified by this. Yes, because because Andrew Garfield's like it's a little late in the summer for fireworks, and she's just kind of gobsmacked by it. And is that the 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 symbol or the or the um, signal rather that indicates to her that it's time for her to go away? That is what the oh. internet seems to think because I oh. found some threads on Reddit that the sounds the fireworks make are Do not Morse code. With Morse code. Morse uh, code. Yes. Oh, yes. yes. So she's paying close attention to to get what whatever the Morse code signal is. Okay. Absolutely. What's Absolutely. what's the Morse code say? Leave now. 
No, from what I've read, the people who have translated, I don't know Morse code, I just read about it, it's, it's, it translates to ready. Okay. Which would make sense in the context that we're describing it, that, you know, these, these three brides are ready for Jefferson Sevens, who was described to be dead earlier in the film already. Uh, no, or, he, or he missing, wasn't. Missing. He was missing. Yeah, yeah. he wasn't yeah. dead yet because he when he when he gets described as dead, it that's when Sam believes Sarah's dead. They're like, all dead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She he sees the um the the hat the hat. Yep. And there's okay, the, I... and the dog is in the oh. So that's another thing is is her dog is like dead in her purse or something. <laughs> the Bouchon so, Frise, Yeah. <laughs> so is is that attached or connected to the dog killer? I've I've thought about that. I'm not sure. Wait. So that dog in a purse. Her dog is, that he is like petting outside whenever he first meets her. Coca Cola. Yeah, yeah Coca Cola. Cola. Yeah, yeah. Reliable as sunshine or whatever. That's because that it used to have dies? Coke in it. Yeah, yeah. In the, dog... in the news report, they're like we've they found like Jefferson oh. Sevens with three women. They think they're prostitutes. There's also uh, evidence of the remains of Bazan Frichet, Bazan Frichet, which is the breed of dog that she has. Okay, okay. but that, that being said. Andrew Garfield, I think, before that in the movie has a dream about that exact dog being dead. Oh yeah, yep. It looks like it at least. It's bloodied, yeah. but for sure, yeah. Same, same size, same shape. And I thought same this was some Fight Club shit when I saw like these dogs dying and him sleeping. I was like, right, sure. Mm. It's like this is some. What's that Robin Williams movie where he thinks he's writing and he's really freaking going out killing people or doing some shit? You that seen that one? Great. Is that Robin Williams? I don't know. <laughs> no, that's definitely not Johnny Depp. This one, he's 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 in a new house with his family, and there's this creepy ass room, and he thinks he's journaling, but he's doing, you know, criminal shit. That sounds great. I want to watch this. It's a really good movie. If it's you haven't not seen ins- it, it's not Insomnia. No, yeah, it's not. Ins- is it Insomnia? You're supposed to know. The, the title of my reference. I know, I know. I'm, I just I'm give sorry. Vague I should, ideas and I should be the one who can get every reference every time, but oh, this may, this does not ring a bell to me. I'm pretty uh, sure. I thought it was Robin Williams, man. Maybe so, no, no. Maybe it's maybe it's not. Maybe it's someone else. Hey, kids. Rob spent some time trying to figure out what the fuck movie Justin is talking about here. And he doesn't think he found anything definitive. The only things that come to mind are number 23 with Jim Carrey and Secret Window with Johnny Depp, but those don't seem to match the description we've been given. So who knows? If you know, hit us up. Let us know. Who's journaling but killing? Is it Robert Williams? Is it someone else? What movie is this? But also in that dream, like he, he goes past the dead dog. And then he sees what appears to be Sarah dressed in white eating a dead body, but then it turns around some ugly dude. And then he starts barking at her. They're barking at the the guy that's just like Sarah barks at Sam. And that's when he wakes up and realizes the dog outside barking. So, like, why? (laughs) Why is he dreaming about dead dogs if he's not the dog killer? Hey, I, oh, yeah. So I I guess now is a better time than any. One of the questions I knew I had to ask both of you, I think we all knew we had to ask, do we think Andrew Garfield is the dog killer? Yes, and I'm sticking with it. Okay, okay, that, okay, Justin said yes. Before we get into any explanation, I want to go around the room, I want to get a poll. Ben, what do you think, yes or no? I think no. No. He says no, despite all the overwhelming evidence. (laughs) I, 
I'm I'm actually going to be the the uh, now that we have one yes one no I'm going to be the least satisfying divisive answer. Oh, the, the first half of the times I've seen this movie, I would have said no. The last half of times I've seen this movie, I want to say yes. I still oh, don't so know what I think. That sounds like a yes vote to me. Okay, so so here here's the reason I've been coming around more to yes is because I've been picking on picking up on in multiple viewing viewings of this movie Andrew Garfield's character's propensity to lie. Definitely, he lies every chance he gets. And it seems. I think that when at the end when the homeless king is like, "Why did you have dog biscuits in your pocket?" He's lying when he says the thing about the ex-girlfriend, and he's able Definitely. to come up with that creation. Because he lies to his mother multiple times. I'm at work. When he wakes up in the goddamn cemetery with beer cans around him, he's like, Mom, I'm busy. I got to go to work. You know, that type of thing. <laughs> he lies to the actress when uh, they're looking outside the window. Like, he, she goes, what are you looking at? And he goes, that damn bird. And he's looking at Sarah's ass, you know? He lies well, to yeah. his buddy when he's like, where's your car? And he's like, oh, it's, it's you know, in, getting it's in, the shop. it's in the shop, you know, after it got towed. I... He beat up small children. <laughs> so he, he also he, he lies uh, about his his dog situation. The yes. lady asked like so he's asked mm-hmm. once if he likes dogs and he says that a dog bit him when he was young. And he's asked another time mm-hmm. about if he's getting another dog and he's like, my dog died. Yep. Yeah. Or something like that. So and he, he also pairs that in that scene where the dog bit him, he talks about with Millicent Sevens. Millicent Sevens is like, I don't think we should be out here. We're in danger. And he's like, why? We don't have a dog with us. And she goes, well, anybody who would kill a dog wouldn't think twice about killing a human. And he goes, so, I don't know. I don't think true. that's true. And it's yes. just like, oh. and he killed a human and he didn't think twice about it. <laughs> he did kill that's... the songwriter. The songwriter yeah. did upend his worldview, to be fair. Well, and he also tried to shoot him. So, yeah, it was a little but, self-defense. Yeah. Okay. So, I'm not saying it wasn't self-defense, but he was ready to kill. Okay. He beat small kids. He murdered a dude. You're gonna put dogs beyond this guy? No, no. Okay. So here's the thing: is I actually I might have to change my answer because one of the pieces of evidence I was using might have actually been a dream, and now I'm not my dream. His dream. Yeah. <laughs> I'm remembering now that that I think it was in the same dream where he where he thinks where that dog is dead. Um, he sees dog biscuits on the ground. Yes, and he picks them up, and they are the exact same dog biscuits that are later found in his pocket. That that was one of my oh, big things because it's like yeah. if that is a dream sequence, sure, done. It's a dream sequence. If that's not a dream sequence, that explains why he has dog biscuits in his pocket later. Yes. That he picked them up at that moment. Yes. Which I'm still not so convinced about the sentimental value of the biscuits. Well, no, that was a lie. That That is almost like, – I know that I referenced it earlier as something that – you know, a, a, but that was definitely a lie. Yeah. Every time dogs are brought up, he lies. I'm almost certain. Which and I don't see why the homeless king sketchy. would be any exception. He, and, he lies to everybody. And, and let mm-hmm. me throw one more thing out here. If, 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 we, if we think there is a parallel between the – the legacy of songwriters and the legacy of dog killers, doesn't it make sense that he's actually the parallel, the poor murder, the poor murderer's parallel of the songwriter? Come on. Mm, that's... Elaborate for me. I, I'm so, not sure. So the songwriter is one in a continuation of people who are just – you know, controlling the masses by by writing songs and and you know taking over the music industry. 
he is that line of succession for the dog killers. I, I okay. think that yeah. that makes sense to me, Justin, in the sense of saying that dogs are symbolic of women in this movie, because Hollywood forever, you know, you go back to like Judy Garland in The Wizard of Oz, where the producers were like, "You need to be addicted to cocaine so you don't eat because no one wants to fuck a fat girl." Like oh, that, God. like yeah, that. That's a big story in Hollywood. And and he's now upset about the state that women have in Hollywood, and he's killing dogs in air quote to represent that. As we said earlier, I like that idea, Justin. I think it it's right in line with the theme of shoot up and spit out. Yes, <laughs> we're fi- we're I, finally getting to it. <laughs> so I I, want, I I assumed that the entire reason you picked this movie was because of the shooting stars. I, I, uh, shooting stars are a big part of it. The way that women, you know, are in movies and then they still have to do like sex work and stuff like that. Absolutely. I think this, this is, well, well, no, no surprise. Like I said, start, I picked this movie to talk about because I fucking love it so much. Uh, but there is a minor theme in this movie about women being used. Well, the three wives thing. Yeah. Too, yeah. Th- I, I think, think that's the biggest manifestation of it that. You know, these brides get chosen not only for bands like Jesus and the Brides of Dracula, but for this entombment at the end. Yeah. Yeah, it's the Manson murders without the murders. It's just another cult. Yeah. And without the it's... racism. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. This, it's just this another movie, Hollywood cult. <laughs> this this movie is kind of not racist, which I do like as well. They could have gotten yeah. into the racism of Hollywood, which they don't, you know? It is it is a very white movie, but I think that this movie is clearly not about race. It's about gender. Yes. If, if anything, yeah. in terms of distinctualizing groups, for sure. Is for it sure. accidentally racist? We'll have to wait to see what journalists think about that. Right, Ben? <laughs> <laughs> yes. As we've, as we've learned. What year do you yeah. think this movie took place in? Oh, I have an answer to that, Justin. All right, I'm ready. So... From the research that I did, uh, some some good old uh, Reddit and forum hunting. <laughs> so the, the best research. So the thing the thing that is clear, which I don't know if you guys picked up on, um, this movie, a hundred percent, in context of the movie, takes place in two thousand eleven. That is because when Jefferson Sevens is found dead, when we see the news screen, the TV with the news on it. It says that yeah. Jefferson Sevens lived from like 1950 to 2011. Okay. Oh shit! So, so there is actual screenshot of this movie that says that it's 2011. People awesome. on the internet have combined the fact that Andrew Garfield says that this movie uh, that fireworks occur too late in the summer, with the fact that we see later on above the Silver Lake when him and Millicent Severance go skinny dipping that there's a full moon, people on the internet seem to believe this movie takes place between August 8th and August 15th. August Man, 15th is... People have really looked into this. August 15th is Ben Affleck's birthday. Um, <laughs> that's a very important date. So I, I think this is a great connection to something I really want to talk about. Everybody who's listening to this, who's seen this movie or not... I also encourage Ben and Justin to do the same because they seem intrigued by this movie. If you Google under the Silver Lake Reddit, oh God. You, you will find more than you could ever imagine of people posting about the clues, the ciphers, the codes, the hidden messages in this movie 
so much so that I tried to follow all of it, and I was like, I can't. I will get too bogged down to this. I need to just talk about the movie. Like, we, we would have to do a whole other episode about what people think the hidden messages of this movie are. And not only are these Reddit posts and forum posts in great detail, they're consistently posted and recently posted. The last post on the Under the Silver Lake subreddit at the time of this recording was three days ago. <laughs> wow. People literally fucking dive into this movie and they got shit where just to summarize from what I read because I, I spent like a good few hours the other day just diving through it they got shit like oh we get scenes of cipher uh, decodations in the comic book author's house like a quick shot like two seconds of a frame you know yep. and, and they and they use that they're, they're, they say that there's ciphers hidden on the tombstones in the cemetery scene they say that some they, of the walls and shit. Yes, had, the graffiti weird in markings. bathrooms and stuff like that. Yeah. Apparently, a lot of this movie uses the zodiac cipher, which has never oh. been fully solved. So how can oh. you use it? I don't know. And the last time I checked, everybody on Reddit has agreed that the entire rabbit hole of the mysteries in this movie has led them to two different coordinates in the Hollywood Hills that no one has yet to visit. In real life? Yes. Three days ago, someone apparently, or uh, three or four days ago. No one has from ever visited or, or no fan has No visited. fan has visited. No one's posted about okay. it. So, yeah, I, I encourage Ben, Justin, and all our audience, Google under the Silver Lake Reddit and just look at some of those posts because not only will you get code breaking, you will get fucking miles of text about what is the bird saying. Why don't people like this movie? <laughs> Dude, can we can we do a VOD and just go to these coordinates? I mean, I, I think you and I could, Justin, with a road trip. Ben's way out on the eastern time zone, so it might take a ben, longer get to get over here. here. <laughs> I'll, I'll fly. We're going yeah. to do, like, do like a video episode of Cinemodities where we go somewhere in the woods of the Hollywood Hills and go... What does it mean? <laughs> yeah, let's do it. <laughs> so, yes, th this movie transcends the mysteries of the movie. People have latched onto this harder than you could ever imagine in terms of ciphers, code breaking, cult following. It's amazing. It's another reason I love it. Nice. I mean, it would be absurd to think that there wasn't a hidden message in this movie about hidden messages. Oh, ab absolutely. Absolutely. Although we were told that he wouldn't put a message in a message. Well, Jesus wouldn't put a message in a oh, message. As well, but he's a whiny bitch, so. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. We, we, we've we talked about a lot of this serious stuff. I gotta, I gotta take it back a little more to the movie. I want to talk about a gripe that I have with the Wikipedia page. <laughs> because the Wikipedia page lists... Um, Topher Grace's character. First and foremost, did you guys know, realize that Topher Grace was in this movie? Eric from that 70s show? Venom from Spider-Man 3 was in oh, this movie? What? No. Is, who is he, is he is the buddy with the drone. Okay, that's what I thought, yeah. Yes, yes, that is oh, Topher Grace. the drone. That is and the Topher... girl who just randomly undresses when she sees and, a drone outside of her window. Crying. Yeah. Yep, chewed up and spit out. Why was she out. crying? Because she got because chewed, she up, and chewed up and spit out. Jesus, Justin, oh. get with, come on. This is, come on, get with the theme of the series. <laughs> Show some respect. My bad. So, my bad. So before we get to Topher Grace, this was something I didn't pick up on until like my 
ninth viewing when I was drunk watching this movie again, after Andrew Garfield follows the coyote, like he he he, he evades eviction and he follows the coyote to the party. He goes into With the party. This weird run. And oh yes, yeah, his very video game character esque run, and <laughs> with with the with the with the arms bent and all that shit, you know. Oh and, god! And so when he goes to the party, he's wearing his pajamas and like a pit stained undershirt. Yep. And some girl is like, "I like your shirt," and he doesn't say anything to her. And then as he's going through the party, he takes a he takes like a double take. He takes a second glance at a woman who's talking to another woman. That is the woman from the drone scene. The woman from the drone oh. scene shows up at the party that he gets led to by the coyote, where he talks oh, to man. his ex-girlfriend. Yeah, yeah. Great fucking... This movie is... M- Everybody listening to this, this movie is more dense than we're even describing it. I think we're missing, like, still 80% of this movie. <laughs> what? That much? You I think, think we're missing that much? I think much? this is an iceberg movie. Like, we are talking about so much, and we're missing more than we're talking about. I honestly believe that. Well, that party, I just want to bring this up. That party is where he overhears someone saying, like, she's the, the best director or, or whatever oh, for yeah. her time. She, she's, the, she's the youngest girl ever to write, direct, and sound edit her I own believe sitcom. They said, I believe they said the youngest woman. Oh, okay. And they're like, how old is she? She's 12, but she's an old soul. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, that girl is the youngest woman to ever write, produce, direct, and sound design her own network sitcom. How old is she? She's 12, but she's clearly an old soul. Honestly, mm-hmm. she really captures the zeitgeist. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's any adult that could ever express the kind of deep understanding that she has over her material. Like that that's a that's a big chewed up and spit out aspect of this movie that you know Hollywood can be like oh this 12 year old is great but Hollywood would say no it's the the gimmick that she's a 12 year old is what makes it great right sure so what what did you say your gripe was my gripe uh, yes so 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 Topher Grace appears as as his as uh Andrew Garfield's friend shows up in two scenes he's in one scene at a bar where Andrew Garfield's like, man, I don't know where this girl went. Like, she disappeared. What do I do? And, and, and Topher Grace is like, have you heard about these dog killers? I want to talk about the dog killer. And then the second scene he shows up in is when they do the drone. And he's like, I've been scouting out these houses. And this chick has, like, a hot bod. She must have been a lingerie model. Yeah, but yeah. The Wikipedia summary of Topher Grace's character says, Sam's unnamed friend, who helps him with an investigation surrounding the disappearance of Sarah. He has no help to give whatsoever. Yeah, he doesn't help. He's like a non-character almost. <laughs> he does He does mention dog killers, and there's no reason before that to believe there's more than one. Yes, yes. Um, so that may be a hint that, about the, the lineage, the succession. Topher Grace is great. I love also the fact that, you know, Andrew Garfield was Spider-Man, and Topher Grace was Venom in Spider-Man 3 with Tobey Maguire. That's another great oh, little connection. Shit. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Cool. But, but Topher Grace, I think, has one of the most, since it was last year, this, or two, two to one, one to two years ago since this came out, it's not that prescient, but, you know, he has the drone, and Andrew Garfield's like, where'd you get this thing? And he goes, where do you get everything? <laughs> Amazon. Amazon. <laughs> That was that was relatable. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and I do have to say, I love that shot where the drone is just hovering right in front of the woman's window, 
and she just starts bawling. And Andrew Garfield's like, yeah, I'm going to head out. <laughs> yeah. So, so he either is flying the drone closer or zooming the camera in also. Mm-hmm. Because, like, the, it's yeah, getting, the image is definitely face. getting closer to her. And we get some great music in that scene. That that's just it's it's a it's a chewed up and spit out moment, of course. And it's it's really really good. It's really minor, but it's really really perfect. I love that. Another minor role that I wanted to bring up, which we've mentioned already, Millicent Sevens. Even though she dies near the end of the movie, being shot at underwater by an unknown oh, assailant. Oh, she's, a, she's the Playboy cover. Yes, uh, when she dies, she takes the form yeah. of the Playboy yeah, yeah. cover. I just have to say, because it's a long-running thing on this podcast, uh, I know I talked about it last week with Ben, Naomi Watts is one of our loves on Cinemodities. Millicent Sevens is played by a woman named Callie Hernandez. We've seen her before in the Cinemodities movie that we discussed, Alien Covenant, where she gets Ooh. killed in a shower scene, so she's also naked when she dies there. And wet. And wet, presumably. yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Callie Hernandez, hit me up. I'm single. Are you single? <laughs> Come on, I know you listen to this podcast. Hit me up. <laughs> We're here to screw. <laughs> we should fuck. I, I think that she that scene that she the the one main scene she has is when they're walking down across the reservoir. Andrew Garfield's in fucking pajamas, and she's in this gold like Augustus Klimt style dress, like covered in gold, and and she's just like you know. I'm afraid. I'm afraid. I'm gonna hold your hand. Let's fuck. And she's and, and oh god, she's she's fantastic. She is not great in Alien Covenant because no one is great in Alien Covenant other than Michael Fassbender. But Kelly Hernandez, we need to see her in more things. I know she's been in La La Land, which I've never seen um, with Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone. Um, and I know she. I think she got some attention for that. But she is beautiful. I will leave. It's up to you guys if you want to comment on women in the Chewed Up and Spit Out series, but I'm not holding back. Callie Hernandez is fucking amazing. <laughs> I thought, yeah, I thought they were great in this movie. And yeah, I don't know if this is okay to say, but I hate homeless people. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, he's the maybe dog killer. Who maybe says you that? Give him some money next time. Maybe you should just give yeah, him that's some money. That's enabling. <laughs> that's enabling. The, the homeless dude does get very aggressive, where he's like, "Motherfucker, shit fucker, come here and sit on my cock. I'm gonna shit in your face." <laughs> <laughs> yep. And it's like, whoa! <laughs> you clearly see this dude is in pajamas, right? Why would he have money? <laughs> well, and. He's also just, like, scooting around on the ground while he's screaming. Very much like a dog dragging its ass on the carpet. I love that imagery. And if it it was, if Andrew Garfield was the dog killer, I don't see why he didn't kill that homeless man at that moment. (laughs) Well, because there was somebody there. There was a woman, and we know that's his weak spot. That's right. Oh, yeah. Fucking beautiful. Well, I can't say they're all beautiful. That blonde girl that he bangs first... Not you don't like her. Oh, oh, the one he bangs. The actress. Oh my god, that scene was so good. They're talking about the TV and his Kurt Cobain poster. Yeah, (laughs) and the only reason he like starts roaring up and orgasms is because he sees Millicent Sevens on the TV and the family being like, "We want you back, Daddy," (laughs) and he's like, "We miss you," and he's like, "Uh -uh -uh." (laughs) "Dude, I'm okay. I I take some. I don't." The, the, the actress, who, uh, as she's credited, literally, actress, that's her name in the credits, 
who oh my appears, god she appears at the at the beginning when they have sex and then she appears to bring him the tomato juice after he gets sprayed by the skunk i'm sorry but you smell so bad <laughs> that's that's ricky lindholm she i i she's beautiful she Her is a hundred percent beautiful her face is amazing she is beautiful justin i don't remember yeah, she i'm was, on board with who are you on board with her or, me or ben? you you rob okay she is beautiful sorry she was ben. in knives out do you remember her in knives out do you know how bad i am with actors okay so do you remember in knives too. out that there was the the teenager kid that was on the phone all the time and they called him a nazi and a conservatist yeah, 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 yeah. The yeah, mother, yeah. his mother is Ricky. Oh, mother? The blonde yeah, okay. woman, the skinny blonde woman oh, who who, okay. who who is basically very belittling to the maid because she is foreign. Ricky okay. Lindholm. Ben, you're outnumbered here, clearly. Ricky Lindholm, one of the first things she masturbated to was a rerun of Charles in Charge. She's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> first thing I ever masturbated to... Probably a rerun of Charles in Charge. Oh my god, that's awesome! <laughs> no, I, I I do sincerely love Ricky Lindholm. I've uh, I've seen her in a lot of other things. Um, I think that uh, Ben would know her best if I am remembering this correctly. She is uh, Cheryl in like a five episode arc of Buffy, and I know Ben loved or watched a lot of Buffy, the I Vampire Slayer. Yeah, yeah, I have. So she was she was in there. I don't know if you remember Cheryl. That's all she's credited as. Um, she it's been a long time since I watched that. That's that's true. She's in a whole slew of just she's she's a character actress. She just plays. Yeah, she's definitely definitely gotten around. The she plays tons of different roles. Like, do you remember Ben Justin? The two episodes of Adventure Time where Finn and Jake talk to an island, like, literally the entire island is shaped like a woman who's dating no. the party god, who's the wolf head. Yes, yeah. Very, very vague. Ricky Lindholm is the voice of the island. Oh, oh my god. I love Ricky Lindholm. She's beautiful. We get to see her hunched over with her tits in an unflattering position for Definitely. a whole scene in this movie. She's Definitely amazing. She's amazing. And... She also is the one who has the great line when Andrew Garfield says, don't you think people who are wealthier than us know things that we don't? And she goes, maybe better restaurants. <laughs> She's not wrong. She's no. definitely not wrong. No, they I mean, know a more, lot of more things. More expensive doesn't equate to better. That's, <laughs> That's true, but Robin, you can the best try restaurant, more restaurants when you're loaded. The best restaurant that exists is when Rob and I make burritos. <laughs> oh my god, yes. <laughs> Not disagreeing on that cuz those burritos were were bomb. Yes. Yes. Any anytime Ben and I start cooking, that's the place to be that the rich people don't know about. <laughs> so that that actually reminds me this is a this is off topic, but they're one of my favorite jokes. Uh-oh. It's like uh it's it's a poster that has like, you know, how how you should how you can tell if somebody is having a stroke. And it goes through like the the asymmetry in the face. Yeah. And the, and isn't, it like, and, isn't it like smile or something? Yeah. The something acronym? Like yeah. Yeah. And the, the last one, it's like in, uh, incoherent speech or something like that. And, and the example they give is somebody saying Colorado has the best green chili. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> 
So I'm just sh- giving a shout out to Hatch, New Mexico, right now. <laughs> oh, that's a, that, of course. That's the place to order them from. Okay, so, so okay, yeah. Tan- tangent on tangent on tangent on tangent. Welcome to Cinemodities, everybody. I want to throw it over to Ben. We've talked a lot about the main questions of this movie. I think there's one we haven't touched on, which is the bird. Before we talk about the bird and what it's saying, what we think it's saying, were there any scenes you wanted to highlight? We've highlighted we've highlighted most of the ones I cared about. It's so like there's the Spider-Man one, there's the him beating up the little kid one. <laughs> there's the there's the Sevens is the the cover of the porn magazine yep. in the water one. Any other scenes that really stick out to me in this movie? I mean, like I said, we talked oh, about yeah, a man. lot of yeah, scenes yeah. already. I I guess if I it, the one that just popped into my head is when he like crawls out of the out of the bunker and he finds himself in a milk oh. refrigerator in a and he starts cart. drinking and the he milk. just yeah he opens a milk carton that that's gonna drinking. be part of my snacks I took that as part of my snacks when he finds the escape from the bunker okay. and he's in a fucking grocery store cooler yeah yeah uh, but no I think we really touched on all the and we talked about the fireworks I think we really hit okay. the ones I cared about okay. I know I have one more scene in particular, but Justin, did you have any others that you wanted to highlight? Yeah, so first off, y'all think that it was a dream sequence when he was following the dog treats and then the dude's behind him and he's just running? You're right. That was not a dream sequence. It's it's very ambiguous. I I (laughs) did not see that as ambiguous. Okay, okay. And again, I've not watched – I watched it once. I thought the dude was following him. You know, all the dream sequence are dogs barking. I could what? see who who would that be then? Would that be the real That's dog my killer? Question. Who was it? What is what does Reddit think? Have you have you read it? Was that I... when he found the biscuits, or is the biscuits in the? I'm having trouble keeping those straight. He's following the trail of biscuits. A dog. I treat. think that the biscuits appear in both scenes. Oh. In one, he follows the biscuits and encounters the. The guy in the hat where the body like splits and goes to the two sides of the screen. Where I think in that scene he sees like two or three dog biscuits. Yeah. I think in the scene Justin is referring to, he's carrying groceries, yes. he sees one dog biscuit, and then he gets the call from the comic book artist who's like, you know, oh yeah, you wanted to talk to me? Yep. Well, I'm drawing all oh, day. And call that's me. right before exactly. he's sprayed by the skunk, right? Yes, that's before because he runs from the shadowy figure and then he gets sprayed by the skunk. Yes, that's not a dream but I, sequence. He got no, that's sprayed. not. That a not dream. No, but you're right, Justin. Who the that's hell was following him? That we haven't asked about yet. That's a good question. I, I'm confused by that as well. My first instinct is it's his first encounter with the owl's kiss, but this the shadowy figure does not look like the owl's kiss. It was a dude. Yeah. Yes, it, yeah, it very it much looks, like, looks a like a a a mugger type of thing. Right. But not your ordinary mugger. This is an eccentric mugger. I'm just I'm just kind of brainstorming. Could be the pirate. Yeah, yeah. Maybe the pirate's following him at this point. The pirate doesn't do shit like that. He does. I know that that collects materials and women. He doesn't chase dudes. That's the tough part. Is because there is no identification. It is literally a silhouette of a character. In both shots we get of him. It's so, so if, if he is the dog killer, is it possible that he's just like having a weird out of body projection experience, mm. and 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 like he's experiencing a bout of paranoia? What if that... he ran into another dog killer? Well, and it could be because there the are sure there could be multiple dog killers. But I mean, if, oh, if he's... I think with serial killers in general, you know, every time you watch a true crime show or, or TV or whatever, copycats. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's a, oh, that now now that's cool. That's the best explanation oh. I, I've heard. Yeah, it could be a copycat for Andrew, sure. Andrew Garfield is is sincerely frightened. He drops his mm-hmm. groceries and hides from too. this other character. Well, he he also seems to have some kind of hallucinatory experiences. Like when he's on the on his porch and he sees the girl swimming after she's missing. Yes. So like it could it could be part of like a mental breakdown type thing that he is experiencing. Yeah. That he he has that become. Before- I thought engrossed in he's become engrossed in this situation where he thinks that there's something crazy going on and there's a big conspiracy and then he suddenly thinks he's being followed. So, I mean, it, it could be that he was really being followed. It could be a copycat. It could be a hired hand by the Illuminati or, or you know, whatever we're calling these people. Could be the homeless um, king for all we know. It could be. It could be the homeless people. It could be a coyote. Um, <laughs> the dog. The dog killer actually could be a coyote. Also, like. Holy shit. The undomesticated version of dogs, the coyote. Dude, (laughs) that's genius. Um, Yeah, so that was another thing I wanted to mention. The dog killers, too. The homeless king is like, the coyotes are great, just follow them. Is that a dog? It's a coyote. Not going to bite me, right? Oh, coyotes are blessed creatures. If you ever find yourself alone with a coyote, you don't run away. You follow it. See where he takes you. People think we own this land, the streets, yards and hills, houses and the caves, everything belongs to the coyotes they're just letting us use it don't if you if you ever buy a coyote don't fucking approach it coyotes are dangerous <laughs> like true like it's like i mean i'm i'm from the desert where we go out and shoot them for fun sometimes like you don't you don't approach a coyote yeah I, I usually approach coyotes somewhere between a blowjob and an omelet. I don't know what you guys are talking about. <laughs> Dude, coyotes are dog killers. That's the best parallel. That's so, next level shit. There you go. <laughs> I dig it. Hold on. I got a couple other things, and sure. I'm just oh, gonna yeah. sp- I'm just gonna spitball them because we can't get into everyone. Oh god, give me a sec. I'm blanking. You you literally just blew my mind with coyotes or dog killers right now. <laughs> this, is why, this is why you need to take the, notes, the Justin. <laughs> no, I got it. I got it all up in, in my brain. Hold on. Uh, H6 to G4? What? What is his job? He doesn't have a job. What oh. was his job? No, I, I, we have no idea, but whatever it was, it allowed him to garner a handicap placard. <laughs> <laughs> also, it it involves yes. whatever. So McPoyle brother guy was he said he was yes. working at that party. So presumably it could have had something to do with serving people at parties. Mm-hmm, he mm-hmm. could have he could have been some kind of kid or a bitch or something at some point. Uh, but as far as we know, he doesn't have a job. At the, at the yeah, he, he's just Are, lying to his mother when he's like, I'm busy. I'm at work. And she's like, I know yeah. you're working. Yeah. Well, and part of why he's getting evicted, I assume, is because he maybe lost his job. Right. Right, That's I do. What I, do I do love do. that fact when um when uh, he he meets Sarah. They go to the they hang out in her apartment. She's like, "Come back tomorrow night. We'll hang out." He goes back. It's all empty. He goes to the landlord, and the landlord's like, "They moved out. 
What do what you want to know? What doesn't make sense about them moving out? And he's like, and, and Andrew Garfield says, why wouldn't she tell me? And he goes, I don't know. Maybe, maybe she doesn't want to date a homeless person. <laughs> <laughs> they moved out. How does that not make sense? Who moves out in the middle of the night? They wanted to leave. They forfeited their deposit, paid the lease. They moved out. Nothing strange about it. I don't understand why she didn't tell me. Well, I don't know. Maybe she didn't like you. Maybe she knows you're poor and haven't paid your rent. Maybe she doesn't want to date a homeless man. And <laughs> even though that's hilarious, it ties in with the fact that he he yep. deals so much with the homeless king later on. Oh. I love yeah. that. That little tiny touch, you know? But that landlord is such an asshole. It's fantastic. <laughs> oh, he's great. He played, yeah, he's a, the perfect asshole landlord. <laughs> Maybe she knows you're poor and can't pay your rent. Maybe she doesn't <laughs> want to date a homeless person. What's questionable about that? <laughs> <laughs> the homeless king and the whole dynamic of the powers in L.A., Really reminds me of The Witcher. Really big side part. But are you in, talking about Witcher? Uh, Witcher like the book? The Witcher the, three, the game. The game. Oh, oh. In that in in oh, Novigrad, the there's the there's the leader of the homeless, oh, which is one of the influential what? figures. There is like the homeless ruler that you have yeah. to deal with. Yeah, that's I totally I don't forgot that about. He's, he's not really homeless. He's just like the king of the of the criminals, of the vagrants like, type of thing. The, yeah, yeah. The vagrants, yeah. yeah. Like he but has they call like, him like a, the king like of a, beggars or something. Yeah, something like that. He he has like a fort though that he lives in. <laughs> right? That's a really good point. <laughs> so we don't we don't know where the homeless king lives. He just pops That's up when true. he's necessary. Okay. Um, How did you know I was here? Andrew Garfield says at the end, and the homeless king goes, "We smelled you." <laughs> we smelled. Yeah, a lot of people don't know this. But you don't have a good smell about yeah, you. Yeah, the skunk smell pervades the story after it happens. And I really I... like that. All right, all right. So how did the homeless king know that he was, you know, rubbed James Dean's head and sat under Newton? He had to have been watching. Oh, right? yeah. He so like a... show up, though. Since, since that's a code in the song, it's got to be... A network of homeless spies. Yes. That yeah. Just there's then, then they have to watch the statues all day. Yeah, I mean they have to watch the statue. I think it's like the Lord of the Rings, where you know it's like Gondor calls for aid and they just light a series of fires to get everybody to know about it. Like a homeless yeah. person is is somewhere near Griffith Observatory, and when they see this go down, they know the channels to contact. Right. That's that's definitely the feeling I got from it. Okay. Yeah, that's what I assumed. They didn't explain it okay all right i got i got a couple more um right are we all in agreement that the cookie had shrooms in it it's it's or lsd it's i don't think it was shrooms because he would have thrown up he did throw up throw up oh yeah he goes to the bathroom and throws up because when he's talking to balloon girl she's like he's like i don't feel so good and she goes, how much of that cookie do you eat he goes the whole thing and she goes oh fuck and he goes and throws (laughs) up in the bathroom uh, that's why I think it's got to be shrooms. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that that checks out. Do you do you start? I've never done shrooms. Do you start hallucinating before you throw up? I've had it both ways. I've done okay. shrooms sometimes and never thrown up. One time I did shrooms, threw up, and then lost my mind. <laughs> so okay. so I don't know if there's like a fixed thing, but okay. I do have to say when we get the start of that scene where it's him and Balloon Girl in like the underground club. Two things 
One, the band that's playing on the stage of the Crypt Club, like not the not the mausoleum where it's like calm music, when it's like more upbeat yeah. music when they're talking to each other. That band is legitimately the Silver Sun Pickups. Oh. oh. Who's most famously known for Lazy Eye. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that song. With the same only some Lazy Eye Facts to rest on you But we don't hear them playing that song. When we first start that scene, we hear a song that Rob has complained about many times on Cinemodities before. It is none other than the song Brim Full of Asha by Corner Shop. I think, Ben, it would have a special place in your heart because on uh, the last episode of Song Screed Commodities, we talked about the repetitiveness of Foxy Shazam. 90% of this song is the guy going, Brim full of Asher on the 45. <laughs> I re- right. I'm going to put it, uh, I'm going to make an argument that that should be our end music in reverse. We'll get to that later on in this episode. Oh. Uh, but if anybody is not familiar with Brim full of Asha, Asha, a-S-H-A, by Corner Shop. I definitely recommend you check it out. So you're saying that the Silver Sun Pickups play a song that's by somebody else? The, no, the Silver Sun Pickups mimic playing music while the actual Brimful of Asha plays. Oh, like, like okay. we, we don't get to hear any actual performances by the Silver Sun Pickups because after Brimful of Asha finishes and we get the scene with Andrew Garfield and the Balloon Girl, the next song that starts to play is What's the Frequency, Kenneth, by R.E.M., which is totally on point for this movie because, um, uh, once again, uh, you two goobers, I hate you infinitely. You love music and can discuss it, but you never understand the music I'm referencing. R.E.M. released the song What's the Frequency, Kenneth, on one of their first albums ever, and it is about someone finding hitting songs and meanings in music. Oh, Like, it fits so well. And when Andrew Garfield runs to the bathroom to vomit when he starts tripping, the the reverse guitar part in What's the Frequency Kenneth kicks in. Like, there is a legitimately reverse distorted guitar part in that R.E.M. song that plays while Andrew Garfield is throwing up. Damn. You're all, goob- you're all goobers. Everybody, everybody oh. I talk to on this podcast is a goober, including me. Shit. <laughs> I did have one more question I wanted to ask. Uh-oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. Well, well, Justin, will you allow Ben to interject in your scenes? Yeah, yeah. Okay, go good. It. You better. Why the fuck is it called Under the Silver Lake? Ooh. Because the book was the – the comic was that, the thing that it is, was onto the conspiracy. It is the so title that, from the comic, and that's the – they are swimming. When Millicent Sevens gets shot, That they are swimming in the Silver Lake. That's the – the name of the reservoir of Los Angeles. So that was my way of, of mentioning that they mentioned the Sil- Silver Lake a fuck ton in this movie. Oh yeah, it was it was a a faux question, if you will. They talk about Silver Lake a lot and under the Silver Lake and over Silver Lake, like like when he's flying the drone. Yep, Silver Lake from above. Yeah. Uh, anyway, sorry that was. Uh, 
just a little tangent, Justin. Go ahead and give us your next scene. No, that was one of the things that I was also kind of questioning. It's like I thought something – he was going to find something under the Silver Lake. You know, she the, – the one woman died in the Silver Lake, but mm-hmm. – there was like really nothing else, but it was really that, you know, it was just the guy that was onto the conspiracy. That's all I got. Yeah. For yeah. why they named it that. Well, and also there's the tombs that are, I think the city's called Silver Lake. So okay. Like, the tombs are under Silver Lake also. Well, like, the city is Los Angeles. Oh, is it? Okay. <laughs> yes. It's, so just, I... it's just Los Angeles. Yeah. Oh, okay. I, didn't know. I wasn't sure. Yeah, Silver um, Lake so is why... just the name of the reservoir. Yep. Oh, so yeah. when, he, when he says over Silver Lake... He's not even over Silver Lake, then. Is that well? Well, I think in the drone, when he starts flying it, he goes over the reservoir and then gets to houses on the in the other side on the oh, Hollywood Hills. Yeah, yeah, that might be right. Okay, okay. I'm all good. right. So the only other thing I wanted to throw out there because we could go all night with random shit. <laughs> yes. Is this man is way too good at hiding behind trees? Just <laughs> if he's behind a tree. I don't care how thick or skinny it is. He's invisible. Not not <laughs> only just trees. We get we get the scene that makes me laugh hardest in the movie when he's at the party with Jesus and the Brides of Dracula after he follows the three women who pick up the uh, the shoebox from the apartment. He's yeah. swimming in the pool, holding a beach ball in front of his face. Oh my spying god! Spying on women like he's swimming in the pool with a beach ball, and he's like peeking out from behind the beach <laughs> ball, and it is the stupidest thing I've ever seen. It makes me laugh I, so hard. I don't think I remember that scene. I've yeah. listened to another thing. Just, yeah, before Justin he followed her into the bathroom, and got kicked in the nuts. Yes, Justin is correct uh, that this dude is like Metal Gear Solid level ten <laughs> stealth. <laughs> like he can pick any object and hide behind it completely. So not only that, like when he's yeah. in that room and that girl is coming in to get the dildo, he he goes out the window. And then leaves the blinds in like a perfect configuration, and is staring at her through them. Yeah, he like and, and, she, and has she has no dive idea. Dive through those blinds. <laughs> yes, yeah, she has no idea. And then she comes out the the door, and he's like slightly around a corner away from her. Yeah, <laughs> dude, when Definitely. he decides he wants to hide, he is literally he's invisible to the world. And maybe oh, that's yeah. just a maybe that's a, a commentary on like who he is as a person. Like he's just. <laughs> That, that's an interesting idea, but you know that the only but he thing got seen early on when he was, cre- you know, peeping. That was only because somebody knocked and made a loud noise. That's mm. a good point. Well, Nobody well, notices him of their own volition. The thing that I think of is when he follows the coyote at the end to the party. He's in like a, a, a like a dirty t-shirt and, and pajama pants, and the first thing when he walks to the party is some girl goes, "I like your shirt." And that's yeah. like the complete opposite of stealth, but he's not trying to be stealthy in that scene, so... Well, but she's also potentially not really noticing anything about him. He like, is Andrew she, Garfield, so... She she says, like, I like your shirt, and his shirt's like a dirty fucking mess. He, he's a like, good-looking yeah. dude. I'm gonna compliment on whatever I think about if I see Andrew Garfield, you know? <laughs> that's, that's I guess that's fair, but I'm just saying, like, Maybe that was another of the signifier that she didn't actually notice him. She was just saying something to a person that she saw. Oh, like yeah, she, yeah. She witnessed a body and was like, oh, compliment that comes to mind. Mm. And uh, I don't know. And he wasn't that. trying to be stealthy there either. No, he wasn't. He hadn't decided he wanted to yeah. be. Yeah, 
Absolutely. When he decides he wants to be, he flips the switch. Exactly. He puts a beach ball in front of his face. The, 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 the last thing I got to acknowledge is just the the self – the self oh, – what's the word? The, just the personal growth journey that he goes through in this movie. You, you know, you never realize – and it's so subtle that he's actually getting over his ex this whole movie, which actually drives everything. Mm. Him creeping on the girl and just being desperate, you know? Him not having a job, which is what he's talking to his mom about when he's creeping on the girl, you know? The dogs, all of all of these things come from a place of like, I just had a really bad breakup. Like his entire persona revolves around that. And it's so subtle. What's the growth that you're talking about? Because he, I mean, from what I can tell, he gets obsessed with the new girl and then spends, like, to the detriment of his life, spends the, a large chunk of his time just trying to find her. Well, I, I think I think Justin's getting it. It's a, it's a, it's an answer. He, he finds the answer of where this girl went, and I oh. think that's a really interesting idea. Justin brings up is that with a breakup, you might not necessarily get an answer. You might not you might not necessarily get an answer but she gets painted over on the billboard and I very much see him as like gaining closure uh, in this movie. You're totally right. Yeah. He, well, not only is she painted over, she's painted over and replaced with someone else's face. Oh, oh, oh knock off Ronald, Ronald McDonald. McDonald yeah. Hamburgers are love, yeah. Well, not only that, he I don't know, he he figures out this whole mystery of the world, you know, he gets so wrapped up in, in in this whole conspiracy, and then he literally bashes it in the goddamn face until it dies with the guitar. With the that, with Kurt that's even I think that even carries over to when he actually solves his mystery. Not only does he solve mysteries, he solves his mystery when he gets to talk on the video phone with Sarah. Exactly. And 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 he's like, "I've been looking for you," and she's like, "Well, here I am," and he goes. Don't you think you do you want to die down there? And she goes, I don't know, but I'm stuck here, so why not make the best of it? And it's like maybe the answer isn't always satisfying, but he's finally gotten an answer. Yes. And, and I don't know. Maybe it's just me, but I see him as sort of being enlightened, right? You know, being above his problems. At the end, right, he he fucking gets evicted. But you know what? He just got laid. He's not. He's not in it, right? He's not there being evicted. He's goddamn getting laid. I, I take that last scene as him finally realizing what the guy in the hut says to him, where the guy's like, you know, you're living in a carnival. You're throwing little plastic balls at oversized pop bottles. What are you going to win? Like everything you care about yeah. doesn't matter where we're going. This isn't a world that anyone with any sense stays in. Or spends much time worrying about. You're living in a carnival, throwing little plastic rings at oversized pop bottles, hoping to win a prize. What are you gonna win? A two week vacation? A new car? A little money to retire on? It's all just a shitty, sawdust-filled rabbit. The things you care about are useless where we're going. And he finally realizes that. He's like, I don't care if I'm going to get evicted. My life will still continue, and I'll still be able to do these things that I've been doing. 
and, and answer myself maybe more truthfully than I have in the past. Yeah, and at the end, maybe we're not satisfied with the answers. You know, we've got plenty of questions, clearly. But he's personally satisfied at the end of that movie. He seems okay with his life. He's not fishing. We don't get the feeling that he's hunting any more conspiracies, that he's mm. following, you know, the rabbit trail. He's, like, good. I, he I found the girl. I definitely agree that he's not chasing conspiracies anymore. But I got more of a sense of giving up than a sense mm. of over. And not to say that he didn't like find an answer. And maybe maybe you're right that he's like this answer is kind of unfulfilling. And I think his response to this answer being unfulfilling is is is, is to like be like fuck it, nothing really matters. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's time and, to just move on and live my life. And, and so, yeah, you, I, I can see what, why you would call that growth, but on some level, it feels like almost like nihilism to me, which yeah. touches on I Heart Huckabee's with you know, Rob, Rob and I talked about last time. Oh, okay. That that makes the um, the great push for the argument of this movie is, you know, like I was saying earlier, is this character likable or is he not? Is he someone you relate to and you want to win or do you not care what happens to him? Are you just watching it for the show? This is we, – we really have this interpretation at the end of, you know, did he grow, did he not? I'm I'm gonna rewatch it now though with with that idea in mind because I I think there's some merit to the idea that the whole that his whole journey revolves around his ex in yeah. some way I think I definitely think there's some merit to that but I, I'm gonna watch it with that in mind next time and, and it's uh, so subtle the way they they do it to, I mean I I didn't even pick up on it but but I definitely think that you're right that it's there yeah uh, it's very subtle so yeah I'm gonna I'm gonna watch it again. Yeah, this is a movie that deserves repeat viewings because you're gonna you're gonna miss so much stuff every time you watch it, and you might even misconstrue stuff when you watch it. And it's like we said earlier, it's a living document that every time you watch it, you have a different mindset. You're gonna get different things from it. Oh, that actually reminds me. Um, so whenever he first meets Sarah and he's, and he's on her bed and he's like looking at her bracelet, mm-hmm. that bracelet seems to be the same material that the N- Nintendo Power Magazine Yes, on. that Jefferson Seven, uh, Millicent Sevens gives him in the in the Silver Lake, absolutely. It, and she says she found it in her dad's office, and Sarah says it's a gift from an old boyfriend. boyfriend. Yep. Oh. Do you think she's talking about him being old? Oh, not, not shit. An, not an old boyfriend in terms of timeline, but a literal old man that is her boyfriend. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, she's yeah. like obscuring the reality to keep him there with mm-hmm. her, mm-hmm. to keep him interested. And she's like, it's from an old boyfriend. I totally buy that because uh, Sarah is so like intrigued and maybe implicitly enthralled by that concept of threes that she, she has to be on board. And from what we learn later from the redhead, who's like, I know Sarah. She was like dancing behind glass at this at this famous party. She's been yeah. in that lifestyle for a while. Yeah, yeah. Well, you said that she's obsessed with threes. I mean, I know the movie is, but what what gives you? Well, the the movie that they're watching is um is How to Marry a Millionaire. That's the actual name of the movie, which involves three women. You know. Oh, in, good point. Um, oh. It, like it going to like this this uh, millionaire's compound and trying to like scam him over. But she also has the three dolls of characters from the movie on the left. And then she has her and the two other roommates with the pirate, you know, the three of the women. Um, she's part of the three brides that Jefferson Sevens takes. She's maybe not uh, accepting of the threes, but she's part of the threes, of the Trinity. Okay, sure. So there is one scene I have to mention. It's, uh, it's a great musical transition. I love 
the Balloon Girls dance scene because mm. it starts at the party when uh, Jesus and the Brides of Dracula are playing their song Turning Teeth. And as they're doing that great chorus, the Balloon Girl comes out, literally covered in balloons tied to her body. And when the song ends, she just poses and everybody has those pins and they pop them, which I think is a great representation of chewed up and spit out, you know, this woman's balloons, eggs, are getting mm. popped by the male gaze that she's performed for. And the way that they transition from that song into great orchestral music is absolutely fantastic. Grace Van Patten is the actress that plays her. She is absolutely fantastic in this film. Other than that, we have to ask the question, what the fuck is the bird saying? <laughs> I don't think it's saying anything. I think that's the best part. Oh, you want to take that? Okay, so... I really do with this. I, I want to throw it out there immediately. I have uh, you know recorded the bits of this movie with the bird. I've played it in reverse. I've slowed it down, all that stuff gibberish i think that this i'm with you justin this might be a dealer's choice type of thing but i do have some thoughts on what the bird is saying and how it ties in the movie but i wanted to throw it over to you guys first were there any words or phrases that you took of course this being your your first viewings viewing slash viewings of this movie that you thought the bird was saying so i mentioned marco polo earlier yes um but, like, I'm pretty close to that scene. You hear the bird again. Yes. And it's pretty clear that's not what he's saying. It's uh, it's not even the same syllables or anything. But it just, I was like, oh, maybe he's just, like, mimicking the kids he hears all day. Um, mm, okay. But, no, other than that, it doesn't sound like words to me. It just sounds okay. like sound. Okay. Justin, did you, so you you said you don't think it's saying anything. Were there any words you thought it could be saying? Or I tried hard. I, I tried to fit in words that I thought it might be because, you know, it was really one of those on the nose. Hey, this bird's seen something, and and you know one of those clues that you're supposed to pick up on. Oh yeah, it's a it's a setup of the movie from the beginning to the end that this bird says right. is, is is saying something. <laughs> right. But I, I yeah, but I think it was intentionally not mm. saying anything to reflect on the audience. Oh right, because right. there's false clues. That, and, that, and that's true. They what, don't want everything to have meaning like we said with andrew garfield he's a false narrator at some points we think and so this bird could just not be saying anything especially with the end as we talked about you know what's the bird saying i don't know <laughs> yep 
So I've thought a lot about this. And, and, and go for just it. Just last thing before you – going back to his whole personal journey, right? Like that's one of those pivotal moments of is this going to be a big reveal? You know, what's your parents saying? I'm finally going to find out. And it's like it's nothing. And he's like, yeah. huh, whatever. I'm good. I'm yeah. getting the, late. The movie I, – I agree with you in that point that the, the movie makes sense that we don't know what the parrot's saying because they set it up as the climax. They set it up as the big finale, and we don't get that big finale. Like any other movie, a stupider version of this movie, it would be like, oh, he's saying – like the woman would go, this parrot's saying blah, blah, blah. And you go, ah, that's the bow on top. I understand it. Yeah. But the, the fact that we don't get that resolution makes this movie mysterious and better for the most part. It leaves it to our imagination. Yep. Or just maybe it's uttering gibberish. I got a, I got a few, I got a few things that I you think got a this thing or two. bird is saying. Uh, so, um, the first time I watched this movie, I thought it was saying oil and fat. Oil and fat. <laughs> oil and okay. fat. Okay. Okay. So I'm going to – with all these things, I'm going to do my impersonation of the bird. I'm going to put the clips in, and we're going to see if everybody does. So, so I love the fact that you know, oil and fat, to some extent, are two different states of the same matter. Oil being the people who are already in this universe, say the women, like Sarah, like Jefferson Severance. They are already boiled down and liquid, and it takes time for Andrew Garfield as fat, as butter, to reach that point to understand things. I like theory. Next one is ova, as in the <laughs> as in the technical term for eggs. Ova, <laughs> ova. That's a technical term for eggs. Yeah, ova. Yeah. You know, yeah, ova, like female eggs. You know, like uh, you Not impregnate there. an ovum, ova. You know, and so okay. and so. I took that a lot with the 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 female mindset of the movie, the ova of the movie, like the balloon girl. Her her eggs, her balloons are getting popped. That type of thing. Um, but I, I do have to say, I, there's more syllables in what the parrot is saying than Ova. Yeah. Uh, something that I thought of on one of my, my, I think my fourth or fifth viewing that seems to be the pervasive theory of the internet is that the bird is saying murderer. Murderer! <laughs> the bird knows that Andrew and Garfield is the dog. three time. times. Murderer! Maybe it's telling us that the topless lady is the dog killer. Oh, well, see, that's that's a fair point, that who who is the murderer if the parrot's saying it? I I like some of the theories, which I, once again, if you Google, you know, under the, under the Silver Lake Reddit, you'll read some of these theories. Uh, they talk a lot about who the dog killer is, and I think this is a big pervasive theory uh, that the, the parrot knows Andrew Garfield is the murderer. Um, something I picked mm. up, something I picked up on in this last viewing... I have a few that I uh, – I don't want to go back to my first viewing things, but something I thought this last time because I really try and clear my mind every time I watch this movie and see if I get a new perspective. When I watched it yesterday for this recording, um, I was really picking up Hollywood. Hollywood! <laughs> Hollywood! Like he, he is just literally stating the – place where this takes place and i think that lends credence to justin's idea of this means nothing the parrot is just repeating things that it's seen and heard hollywood <laughs> but uh, my last few kind of all overlap they're from the first few times i saw this movie 
The first time I watched it, I thought it was saying Oliver. Oliver! <laughs> Oliver! As in Oliver <laughs> Twist, the Dickens novel. Because very famous, the most famous line from Oliver Twist is when he goes to his his um his headmaster and he goes, "Please, Spoiler sir, alert. can I have some more?" And he's like, "You can't have more, you know. You know, you can't have your pudding until you finish your meat, as Pink Floyd does." And Oliver wanting more is the premise of this movie. Andrew Garfield is Oliver. He wants more answers that he should never be privy to. At the same time. When I say to myself, Oliver, I, I understand that words are not fixed. Words sound like each other. When I think of Oliver, I also think of all of her or all over. Those are synonymous phrases that this bird could be saying. All over, like oh, the game is over, which fits into the, the video game aspect of this film. And this is where I want to bring up the fact that I read a very interesting take on the internet. I, I don't think I ever would have thought of this. Someone basically said on Reddit, which, of course, what, from what I sent you, you can read. They say that Andrew Garfield is Mario in this movie. Not oh, only God. because we see Mario, because he's saving a princess. And you might ask yourself. Oh, God. What princess is he saving? It's just this girl that he knows. Well, he doesn't in, save anyone. Well, in actual... Oh, true, he doesn't save anyone. He tries to. Neither does Mario, right? He shows up to a castle and realizes the princess is already gone. But... I played Mario 64. You save Peach at the end. You don't save shit at the end of anything in Mario, because there's another <laughs> Mario game after it. <laughs> you save and she gets captured, you know? So... So here's the thing. She, she this, can't get captured again if there ain't no saving. This was the most... <laughs> <laughs> the actress that plays Sarah, who is the shows up at the beginning, shows up at the end. Her name is Riley Keogh. I don't know how to pronounce it exactly. I think it's Keogh. Keogh. She is Elvis Presley's granddaughter. Seriously, oh. who was the king of rock and roll? So his relative is the princess. That Andrew Garfield has to go on to save. I'm not saying I love or subscribe to this theory, but this is a theory I read. That Andrew Garfield is Mario because he is trying to save a princess from some fate. I don't, I don't necessarily love that theory, but I respect the identity behind it. <laughs> so, how do you spell her last name? Uh, K-E-O-U-G-H. Okay. That's not what I expected. So I think it's Keo, <laughs> I think it's Keo. like like you know like you got like uh, Catherine Howe, Catherine Hoff, H O U G H. She really pronounces that like Vincent Van Gogh, you know that type of thing. Mm. I I've never I've never watched an interview with her. Okay, um, but I Wikipedia love that idea. Says it's Keo, Keo, Keo. Okay, but that's just the Wikipedia phonetics. So so yes, nobody knows what the bird is saying. If you think you know what the bird is saying, please email us at cinemodities at gmail.com. Hit up Zach at at cinemodities on Twitter. If there's nothing else you guys have to say about this movie, I put forward the motion that we get into our real questions. Are we all in favor? 
in the eye. Yay. Yay. Ben is the Ben is the one who's two hours in the future and he's like, I need to fucking go to bed. <laughs> I, I do have to work tomorrow. So. so we start as always with cinemodities and late night movies. And uh, since I am the uh, the grand host for this, I want to throw it over to Justin first. Cinemodities and late night. What are your thoughts? Yes, Cinemodity. Yes, Late Night. This movie is friggin' ridiculous. I still have no goddamn clue what that squirrel was about, and I forgot it until Ben. What the fuck was that? Why did they do that? It's just random squirrel intestines. Regardless, this movie was crazy in so many ways. It blew my mind. It was funny. It was a mystery. It was intriguing. It was goddamn everything all at once, and I had no clue what it was. Yes, cinemodity. Okay, you're going yes to both? Yes, and, and late night movie, oh yeah. I mean, I'll sit down and watch this movie any time of the day. Nice. Give me some goddamn popcorn. Give me whatever the hell you want to watch a movie with. I don't care if it's human flesh molten with sprinkles. I'm, I'm on it. <laughs> I'm chilling. I'll watch it with a mannequin. All right. I'll watch it with a mannequin. Ben, what do you think about cinemodities and late night? Definitely an oddity. True. <laughs> this is uh, it is it is definitely. It's I think it's the same as I Heart Huckabees. It's a know your audience. Mmm. For late night, so so uh, yeah. Justin. Ju- I don't think Justin's familiar with this. There's a category we have on uh, late night movies, which is um, you should know who you're showing it to, as because as as we've said before, you know, cinemodities is the classification. Late night is the recommendation. That's kind of how we've gathered them. Um. And and we have a very special class of recommendation of you need to know who you're talking to or, or watching this movie with before you show it to them. Um, and so you're saying this is – you need to know that the person you're watching this with is going to be receptive to these mysterious ideas. But this is a whole lot of crazy, and some people are <laughs> going to check right out. Mm, fair, fair. Facts. Facts. Okay. Okay. So you're going yes to Cinemodities and know your audience for Late Night? That's, that's my answer. On my end, I am going uh, Cinemodities. Absolutely. This is my kind of movie. We need more movies like this. And Late Night, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to agree with Justin. This is a definitely. I'm going to even transcend what Ben said. If someone doesn't want to watch this movie... I'm going to force them to watch it with a Ludovico technique. Like when you put the prongs in their eyes to open their <laughs> eyes up and you just, and like, I'm going to feed them eye drops. They, everybody needs to see this movie. This is an absolutely definitely for both cinemodities and late night. I don't give a shit. If you can't talk about this movie with me, you need to see it because for all the people I know who wouldn't have good ideas, who would literally watch this movie and go, I have no idea what it's about. I can yell at them enough to make up for that late night aspect. (laughs) (laughs) Until it's daylight. Exactly. All right. That leaves us with our snacks. We are getting to the Cinemodities restaurant. And as I foreshadowed earlier in this episode, we are going to start with Justin, who is going to comment on the now third episode in the saga of Maximo's Time Vortex Restaurants Insurance. So, two episodes ago, we discussed an email from Maximo who said he could give us Time Vortex Restaurant Insurance 
that basically described that every time we birth a new employee, he could create certificates and documents that would make them real to the government. And every time we killed an employee, he would be able to forge death certificates. Justin and I had a little bit of an issue. We didn't know where he was coming from. We didn't know what his book of business was like. We didn't know how many premiums we had to pay. (laughs) And that was answered last week when Ben and I discussed his follow-up email. And yes, Ben and I discussed not only his pie chart, but his coat of arms for the Time Vortex Institute of Knowledge and Shit. And we ended that by saying that tentatively, as, as once again, the only owner and operator of the Cinemarty's restaurant, Ben and Justin, you, you have not earned any stake in this restaurant yet. Um, I, tentative- I don't get shares for each episode, not, I guess. No, already. not yet. You're oh, working towards it, but shit. not yet. Uh, like I said, Zach and like I, I say, <laughs> like I say, Zach and I own fifty-fifty, and like Zach says, when the government comes after us, you own fifty-one percent, Rob. So you get the blunt of the legal discrimination. Um, but <laughs> but I I tentatively tentatively accepted his offer because as I'm I think Justin read in the email, and as Ben knows, and our audience knows from last week. Maximo says that his payment was an episode of the podcast every Monday, which is exactly what we've been pretending and looking to do forever. <laughs> so <laughs> I do want to throw it out because as Maximo and our audience should know, I did send this email uh, to Justin because he was one of the first people uh, about this, this slew of nonsense ideas. Maximo, once again, you're a, a great nonsense comedic mind. I love this shit. But now, Justin, what do you have to say about this pie chart, this coat of arms, all this stuff? I had to give you the opportunity because you asked uh, for it. So, Maximo, yeah. good job. You got Justin to, to actually want to talk about this. Yeah, good job, Maximo. I only agreed to do this today because of your email. <laughs> That's not entirely true. I did it because Rob played two games of chess, and if he wants me to come on another one, he's got to keep playing me oh, in chess. God. But that's just all keep losing. <laughs> You'll never win if you don't try. Shout out to the chess community right now because uh, Hikaru Nakamura, Magnus Carlsen, there's some big stuff going on in chess. Pop on Twitch. What the fuck are you talking about? It's an amazing time in chess. Some of the, the, the best in the world are streaming their chess games on Twitch. The best of the – while I got the mic, League of Legends players are getting into a chess tournament. So are players of other video games, but we all know League is the only one that matters. Unless uh, you League, League, is, League is dick. Oh, God. Yeah. Show me a Dota player that's going to be in the chess tournament because you won't find one. Okay? Show me, show me a League player that – you and okay, Justin and Ben, just oh. argue for forty minutes. I'll cut it out and make it a bonus episode because I knew this was inevitable. Okay. Justin plays League, Ben plays Dota, but or used to play Dota. Like just, just fucking yell at each other. It'll be a bonus episode. It'll be the next song screen commodities. It'll get Look, six gonna... million downloads. It'll be great. <laughs> next week they're gonna start a tournament for money. Like it's gonna be a bunch of Twitch streamers. They're gonna be playing chess. A lot of league players are in it. Some Call of Duty, CS:GO people. Anyway, I'm pumped because I love chess. I love league, and I just like seeing just both communities doing doing fun things. Anyway, Dota sucks. 
<laughs> Dota is, is the superior game by Just, far. Justin, you have to understand that every time you make me watch League of Legends, the only reason I had any grounding in understanding what I was watching was because Ben made me watch Dota for years prior to you. <laughs> All right, well, like, it does... So? <laughs> okay, okay, but back to the topic. Yes, Maximo's email, which you've seen the pie chart. You need to make your comment. Maximo, I, yes. I goddamn, I loved it, okay? It's, I read it's a lot really of hilarious, right? It It is legitimate funny. I, I read a lot of emails, and, and I don't I don't say that lightly. I spend a lot of time during my day reading goddamn emails. This shit made me laugh. I'm on my couch, on my phone, reading this shit, laughing. My girlfriend, Heather's like, what are you? I was like, you don't even know. You don't even know. We were like, we need pie charts. We need to understand the market, and this shit was on point, okay? Rob, Rob was all – Rob loved the coat of arms. I thought the coat of arms was great, but I'm going to be real. When I saw the line, there's even a restaurant. Oh, I forget what it said exactly. There, there's a there's knockoff a... restaurant that's doing better than you are or something like that. Yeah. That shit was so funny. I was I was literally just laughing. My level of amusement was was through the roof when that, I read that. That came from me in our episode, Justin. I said, like, how, how do you have any knowledge – of Time Vortex restaurants, aren't we the only one? And, yeah. he re- and he responded with, as you'll see from my part chart, there is even a bootleg version of you that is doing better. And you would be able to Bro, sue them if you had my help. That is amazing. <laughs> I, so, I thought that was so fantastic. So, something that Justin and I, uh, sorry, Ben and I talked about a lot last week. I, I want to get your opinion. And 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 Ben, don't don't harp in yet. We want to get Justin's cold opinion. When in the pie chart, when he lists modern toilets, do you <laughs> do you think that that is a restaurant called Modern Toilets, or do you think he is referring to legitimate modern toilets, like actual <laughs> like stalls? Bro, that's the thing with pie charts. You convince the reader whatever they think is worth them spending money on. That's what it means. I couldn't get past sign modities. <laughs> right? Yes. Nobody reads the modities with an S, yes. <laughs> they find the one thing in the pie chart that appeals to them, and they're done, and they're bought in. And that's what I was when I read this thing. I saw goddamn sign modities, and I was I lost it. <laughs> So I, I guess my question for you, since Ben and I chimed in on last week and we were tentatively accepting it, are you on board with Maximo's insurance claim for the restaurant now? Dude, I was on board two weeks ago. Yeah, oh, that's right. I think you were. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I was on board. This man understands the psychology of humans. Goddamn, you could be in the wrong. He'll sit in front of a judge and convince him to give you money. You'll have a new <laughs> investor. I'm I'm with it. Maximo, you've done a great job not only in making me laugh on Cinemodities, you have done a great job at causing us to discuss two emails over the course of three weeks. I think that's a new <laughs> record for Cinemodities. Um, so if there's nothing else to say, we have to get into, well, how does Under the Silver Lake impact the Cinemodities restaurant? And I want to go first because I think I have one that is all g- going to overlap with the three of us. 
the meal of saltines and orange juice, an unknown, oh undiscovered God. combination that no one should die without trying. I want to ask you guys, because I haven't done it, even though I've seen this movie so many times, and I'm addicted to orange juice. Like, I drink, I have to drink orange juice every day, or I have a fucking conniption. But I've <laughs> never, like, done it with crackers, with saltine crackers. Have either of you ever drank OJ no. and then put a saltine in your mouth? No. Big no. no. I, I've done similar things, like chocolate milk and toast is my thing. Mm. Oh. I love me some, like, buttered toast and chocolate milk combo like that. But, uh, no, never, never, never crack. Oh, I mean, well, I mean, take a bite, drink some... But anyway, never with uh, with crackers and orange juice. Yeah, see, see, what you describe makes some sense because toast has kind of got like that, that cookie, food. yeah, that cookie breading breakfast formula, and you're mixing it with milk with flavoring. That makes some sense. So, so I I figured that would be the low hanging fruit I had to have. Uh, we're gonna have a dish on the me- restaurant menu, which is saltines and orange juice. Justin has something. What do you got? I I gotta plug something because I just remembered some shit. One time my brother – you want to hear some shit he did to me? This man, I was eating like some Cheerios or something and milk. He poured like half a glass of orange juice into my bowl of cereal (laughs) and made me eat it. Oh my god, why? (laughs) Bro, because I was like five years old and he was ten and he could. Oh shit, okay. This is a bullying situation. This is a bullying situation. God damn. I don't. I don't like what you just said, though. That combination is not happy times, I, Justin. I don't like it either. <laughs> so I guess on the topic of cereal, one of my snacks was I would love. We have a few other uh, outlets through the restaurant which we serve cereal. Um, I would like to replace some of that cereal with incredibly old space stones, which is the cereal <laughs> Andrew Garfield eats and, and spits back up. Like I want Definitely. like way past expiration date cereal for our customers. For sure. That sounds great. Uh, are you going to give him a bucket to throw up in also? Oh, no, no. The um, the restaurant's a shit show anyway, so. Okay. Right. Well, well, to be fair, we also have, like a, like, a little model train that runs around the entire restaurant that dispenses condiments and also shoots pickles at people's eyes. And so Whoa. maybe on the train we put, like, a little spit bucket so anytime anyone wants to spit out or throw out a meal, that's where they do it. Fair? Respect. Okay, yeah, I feel you. I'm, I'm, I'm with you. Respect. I'm picking, up with, I'm picking up what you're putting down. Okay, uh, Ben, what did you have? I think you're the. You haven't thrown a snack out yet. A snack for this movie. There's not. I I do it to be fair. This is one of the movies which has come up a lot on Cinemodities. This is one of the one of the films I'm so enthralled by that I forget to think of snacks. Um. Dog stew. Dog stew. Okay. Okay. Now Definitely, you're talking. Yeah. yeah, we need we need to stew up some of the dogs because we're never going to be happy until they're all dead anyway. So I we like gotta, that. I we like got to boil them up, cut up a potato, like some carrots, <laughs> some mushrooms, so, some so onions. the main stew ingredients? Like you got a, yourself a stew going. Some milk should, probably. Should we make a dog broth? Milk from the grocery store milk from the back (laughs) shelf milk from the back shelf was one of my snacks too milk from the back shelf it's gonna go in the stew also adds a little adds a little thickness to it a little crema to it absolutely um you got yourself a stew going 
Got yourself. Got yourself a stew going. Nice. Got yourself a stew going. <laughs> Goddamn Carl Weathers. Okay, so so uh, I think Ben and I's snack just coincided. Justin, do you have any others? I got two. All right, number one is a hot dog. And the meat in this hot dog is actual dog meat. This is going to go great with Ben's stew. Ooh. But on top of the hot dog, you know how you put chili, you put sauerkraut on your hot dog? I'm talking you mix chili and sauerkraut, but with coyote meat. Oh, but, well, Justin, are you are you making fun of when when we were on Like Mike episode? I told you that Zach was being bold and talking about how at our restaurant we have two day old coyote. Is that what you're referring to? Do you remember that? No, you're giving me way too much credit. Well, well, okay. I, I'm gonna. I asked Justin this two weeks ago. I'm gonna ask Ben. <laughs> ben, do you know what two day old coyote is? No. It's better than three day old coyote. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That is literally an item on our restaurant menu. It's called two-day-old coyote, and then the little subtext says it's better than three-day-old coyote. (laughs) I didn't remember it until you actually said that. That so I like that. You got some coyote meat going right on. Yeah, yeah. I I have take uh, I have take some problem with that because coyotes are the people who own this world. You know, we think we own it, but the coyotes they're just letting us use it. Hey, we're all we're all equal on this planet. All they're living not. things. The coyotes are well, everybody's equal except women. I think that's what this movie has told us. <laughs> yeah, but the restaurant represents we'll eat anything. We'll eat anything. I, I think what this movie has told us is that women are roughly the equivalent of one third of a man. That's what Hollywood would like to believe. That's actually I mean, a good point about the one third with the threes. Yeah, you need True. you need three women to the one man. That's it's got to be some kind of statement, right? At, yeah, absolutely. I think even at that party when um, before the balloon girl shows up, you know, they they say something like all these holy trinities of women thriving like plants of the male gaze of the city. Three, three, oh. three. Yeah. The Trinity, Jesus. I didn't know it. Yeah. A lot of threes in this movie. A lot of women in this movie. Women don't get treated well. But get ready for the next four episodes of this podcast. <laughs> I haven't mentioned it, but like, so there's the Jesus and the Dracula brides. Yep. And in, in Christianity, there's like the Holy Trinity is like a big. Yo, yeah, thing. yeah. What is it? The Father, the Son, the Father, and the, Holy the Son, Spirit? the Holy Spirit. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I don't, I don't know if they were trying to make a connection. That's what it sounds but like. That's that's the vibe I was getting as well. Um, but Jesus is part of the Trinity. I would say so. that this movie is about mm. uh, women in industry, and I would say that religion is uh, accidentally racist. So <laughs> maybe religion though they were getting though the women were getting disrespected in the movie, they are actually the entirety of the Trinity, just like Jesus got sacrificed. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's what basically what this movie's about, is how women are God, I think. I think we discovered <laughs> the real truth of this movie right here. Chewed <laughs> up and spit out. <laughs> oh, man. Sacrificed on a cross. All right, you ready for the dessert? Oh, oh yeah, okay, you got another one. Go for it. That was just, that was the main course, you know, along with Ben Stew and, and whatever the hell it was you said, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so the dessert. You know lava cake? Oh, yes. yeah, yeah, molten yeah, lava cake, you know, absolutely. Brownies with, with lava coming out and, and a fudge yeah, form. Real, or real lava. 
Real lava. Yeah. Okay. So Definitely. I'm I'm talking we we cook up binoculars to make them look like brownies. Okay. And we we stuff them with dog treats. You know those little those little biscuits. So you you cut into your binocular brownie, right? And you get to some dog treats. And as soon as you crack one, whether you you put that dog treat in your mouth, you, you bust it open with your fork and knife, boom! It explodes into a firework. Boom! As soon wait, as it's wait, you said you said let's take binoculars and make them look like brownies. Did you mean the other way around, like brownies in the shape of binoculars? Because if you no. take a binocular and make it look like a brownie, it's just gonna be rectangular, right? No, you gotta turn binoculars. Into He's talking about like grind brown. it up and make it into a flowery. Like, like it's gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna be binocular shaped brownies, is what you're saying. No, it's gonna but be brownies binoculars. made out of binoculars. <laughs> yeah. What? Like so you're what are you grind doing? Up. Are you grinding up the binoculars? I'm not the chef. I'm the idea guy. <laughs> I think. I think you. I think you have. To. Justin is learning, just like Ben did last week too well about what this restaurant is about <laughs> but the bang right you know you you're getting into your binocular brownie you're digging it you know we'll, we'll put fudge in there and you're like mm, a biscuit oh i want me some biscuit and then boom the fireworks are just and shooting goes off right in your face yeah shooting into your face shooting out of your mouth and you're the person across the <laughs> table you know we're it's so goddamn show up in here are you pitching this as just a regular everyday item or possibly a birthday item? Because we currently in the restaurant, if, if anybody has a birthday to tell us about, um, we get a phosphorus grenade that they have to hold in a certain corner of the restaurant <laughs> that literally fucks them up. <laughs> is, is this the same thing or is this like a table side experience? You know, I... I was thinking this would be on the dessert menu. I didn't know about this whole birthday. Oh, oh, so it could just be anybody can order it type of thing. Yeah. I want my <laughs> explosive binocular lava cake. What kind <laughs> of firework? Is it going to be like a Roman candle of the face? Are we talking like an M80? <laughs> Or like 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 one Not of those spinner like like those whistle things that you like you bite into this binocular shaped chocolate <laughs> fudge brownie and it'll go Phew! and just shoot at your face or a guest face or something like that. Yeah, like that, like a Roman candle mixed with a sparkler. You know, it shoots out and it makes a big show. Like a like a UFO mixed with a bottle rocket, so it just spins and then yeah. shoots off in a random direction. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, I love it. I have to say, I love it. That, that's um, what we do at this restaurant. We hurt customers that are not involved in what these people ordered you know i'm just imagining this will shoot off to a different table and just destroy a children's eye and so that's perfect <laughs> so i have justin has made me think of, of a of another thing that we should include in the restaurant this is going to be like an art piece it's going to be somebody in a glass cube and then they're sitting at a table eating eating the dog stew but instead of eating the dog stew what's actually happening is they have one of those masks on and they're just putting <laughs> stew into the mask <laughs> and it's just dripping all over them whether or not they're clothed is up to you i think and the uh and the turning teeth song is playing they're just shoveling this into their face yep. and just into the mask spilling just... all over themselves yep 
That's a legitimate work of art, if I've ever heard of it. Yeah, I, I did sold. not fully appreciate the monstrosity that Zach and I created with this restaurant until we had other people on this podcast. <laughs> because in the last two weeks and now this week, I realized that you guys have taken all too well to the concept of this restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even remember what I suggested last week. Oh, there was some there was some shit that you requested, Justin requested. That's why Zach's not here. We gotta keep up with all this nonsense that these people are giving us. <laughs> Zach's not gonna know what happened. He's gonna be like, Ooh. Oh my goodness. So any any other snacks? I was all finished. Any others that you got? Oh, I, I think I did have one more. Um drug cookies. That's it. Drug. Just, you know, cookies with drugs. Acid, shrooms, whatever. Just, you know, whatever drugs whole you drug want. cookies. Yeah, whatever, you know. You, make people... you get to order the drug or, like, you just get a drug cookie? You, you can random. order – something I say a lot for this restaurant, you can order whatever you want. It's up to us what we give you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that, that was from our last week uh, for I Heart Huckabees. They order chicken salad. They're going to get tuna salad no matter what or whatever the combination was. <laughs> <laughs> without bread. And without bread was actually bread we make with mayonnaise. <laughs> any other snacks you got – or any – not snacks, but uh, things for the restaurant you guys had. Anything else? No, sir. All right. Well, this brings us to the finale of this podcast, where I have to ask our two guest hosts. Well, one before I ask, thank you guys so much for being here. Uh, we really appreciate it. We hope you enjoyed it as well. And I want to throw it over to both of you. I'll start with Ben, because he is the first on my uh, Skype name. Anything you want to plug, Ben? An, an Instagram, a chess.com name, a uh, a phone number you want to give our audience so they can talk to you late at night? Anything <laughs> like gonna, that? They're going to call me. Uh, I think I think I plugged it last time. I'm going to plug it again. My Instagram, at BenQStanley. Sure. Um, I will do commissions, provided that you just want to buy these I've already drawn. <laughs> nice. Nice. Uh, with one exception, I can apply a solid color to any to any image I already have. Fair. So if you want me, if you want, you know, you will say one of my images, and then you show me to put like black all over it. <laughs> I can do that too. So yeah, that's okay. me at at you Stanley. Right on, come, right on. Come, I, come check oh, out I, my art progress. Yep. Um, ben will appear later on, I think, in this month. So uh, keep in tune for that. And I throw it over to Justin. Justin, is there anything you want to plug? On this episode, do you want to give us your chess.com name again? Has it changed? Have you got any challengers from last time? Yeah, you know, you know, Rob, all you've been telling me is my huge audience for the podcast. They're all just, you know, enthralled with chess, huge chess fans watching the show. <laughs> two, two chess movies we've discussed now. Oh, yes. you're, you're like, oh, they, they love the chess content. And they're hitting me up for chess, you said, but nobody has hit me up. For I, chess I yet. think they might be intimidated. <laughs> not that good. They're intimidated by your movie critique prowess, if anything. Oh, well, don't <laughs> let that don't let that stop you. Okay? Yes, hit, yes, I agree. Everybody, up. everybody, play Justin on chess. If you what is what is your chess.com name again? I will put it in the show notes. But remind our audience. Remember, Rob. I do remember, but I want you to say it. What the fuck is the point of me saying it? <laughs> Because <laughs> I'm gonna put in the show notes. You should pitch your own shit. It... 
<laughs> my incredible credentials are are salmon berry. Okay? That's salmon the food berry the food. <laughs> salmon the food. Fish. Not the fish. Salmon the food. Fish is food. It's a more general category. It's less general. Salmon is a thing. It's a color. It's a fish. It's, it's... The, the food salmon. <laughs> yes, salmon berry. I will put that in the show notes again. I hope somebody contacts you and plays you in chess. And uh, I think the next time, on Instagram, bitches. yeah, the next time I hang out with Justin, uh, I feel like that I'm gonna find another movie we need to talk about, and it's gonna involve chess again, and I will have to play Justin in chess once more. <laughs> oh my God, there's that Chris Rock movie where he he's a beast at chess. Yeah, 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 yeah. He he wrecks some dude in New York, and the and he's like, "All right, I gotta go real quick." And and the guy's like, "He's like, before you think about doing this, I'm gonna do this. I'm you're gonna do that. I'm gonna do this." And then his checkmate, and the guy's like, "It's," and he doesn't give him the money because Chris Rock had to end the game real quick. What movie is this where Chris Rock plays chess? I've never heard of this. I got you. One sec. One sec. Bad Company, son. Bad. Oh my God. Not bad. the song "Bad Company." <laughs> the bad band Chris, "Bad Company." The, the song Rock "Bad Company" and, by the band "Bad Company." Chris Rock and Anthony Hopkins, dude. You don't I know about this? No, I've never it's heard Sir of Anthony it. Hopkins. Son. Oh my god! Me? Oh my god! It's directed by Joel Schumacher. Oh my god! Do we have to do this? Do we got to do an episode? This might be. We might need a Joel Schumacher series. There, there's a bomb in Grand Central Station. Chris Rock's like, there's a bomb in Grand Central Station. He's he, he thinks in chess moves, what bro. It's fuck? it's a good fucking movie. Oh my god, you're right. This has Chris cop? Rock. This has Anthony Hopkins. This has Peter Stormare. Dude, this. this has Daniel Sanjata, who is on record as being a 9/11 denier. This is fantastic. <laughs> this has Charlie Day in it. Holy fuck. Oh shit! Even if we don't do an episode, we gotta watch this movie and then think about doing an episode. <laughs> Even if you're not sold yet, let me sell you with a viewing <laughs> of this movie. All right. And great as movie, I said earlier, great podcast. Great, Definitely. thank you. Good, thank good you. talking, Justin. Good talking. Ben says, "Leave me the fuck alone." Justin says, "Great movie, great discussion. Thank you." And Ben's like, "Fuck yeah." <laughs> what, what I was trying to say before Ron so rudely interrupted me is Justin, you made this a much better experience than my last time on the podcast. Oh, <laughs> I'm glad you think so, Ben. Same to you. I mean, it's been ben a pleasure. Ben is just upset. Ben, you cannot read your mega level. <laughs> <laughs> so, with that being said, I mentioned it earlier. Uh, this is one of the things I hold near and dear to my heart in the sense that nobody gets any say in it. We are going to end this episode of the podcast with Brimful of Asha by Corner Shop in reverse. And I thank you guys once again, Justin and Ben, for being here to filling in on these guest spots. I think the, our audience will hear you once more, at least each in the remainder of this series, and hopefully further on. So, thank you, thank you guys for being here. I hope you'd enjoy. I hope you enjoyed it, and I hope you'll come back. And uh, we'll try and keep the interesting aspects like this movie had up for you guys because I know that's what you appreciate. So, thank you all once again, and I hope we hear you in the future. Thanks for having us. 
Yep, it's and, been a uh, good time, homies. Fuck your audience. No, I'm just <laughs> fine, I guess. <laughs> no, you, no, you cannot read Cut your that out. <laughs> Cut that part off. <laughs> <laughs>